brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You're listening to Citizen Detective. Brought to you by Abject Entertainment. Be sure to check out some of the other great true crime podcasts from this network, including The Murder in My Family, Missing Persons, DNA ID, Scene of the Crime, Zodiac Speaking, Beyond Bizarre True Crime, and Campus Killings. All of these podcasts are available for you to binge on right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe where you're listening to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. Citizen Detective is recorded live alongside real-life Citizen Detectives. Welcome to another episode of Citizen Detective. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Morford. My friends call me Morph. I host several true crime podcasts, including Criminology, The Murder of My Family, Missing Persons, and Zodiac Speaking. If you want to leave us a voicemail about tonight's case, we'd love to hear from you, and we may play it on the air. Just go over to speakpipe.com slash citizendetective to let us know what's on your mind. And with that, I'm going to turn you over to Alex. Well, hello there, everyone. Uh, thank you again, Morph. I'm Alex Ralph, researcher and writer for Citizen Detective, as well as the doc show Murder Was the Case. I'm a law grad with 15 years experience in criminal law. I've worked both prosecution and defense in homicide cases and other violent crimes. I just want to remind everyone where to find us. We're live on YouTube, twitch.tv slash citizen detective, Twitter.com slash Citizen D pod and Facebook.com slash Citizen Detective Podcast. Lee? Y'all know who I am. Know how I make a living. Dr. Lee Meller, aka Dr. Murder. Here's some of my books. Conspiracies Uncovered, that's the latest. But then before that, Behind the Horror, that's a good one. True stories that inspired horror movies, thrillers too. Rampage, Canadian mass murder and spree killing. And controversial, 
They attempted to ban this from the Vancouver Public Library. Cold North Killers, Canadian Serial Murder. I also have some textbooks as I'm a real doctor. And I want to encourage all of you to join the DDA, the Digital Detective Agency. You go right on over now to patreon.com slash citizen detective. You sign up and you come and join us because we've got some serious work to do here. But first, Morph. So before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that Citizen Detective has its own website. Go to citizendetectivepodcast.com and you can access all of our episodes of the show. You can leave comments on episodes, share your theories about cases we've covered, and leave voicemails for us that we may use on the air. And you'll get the latest news about the show, important updates, find our social media. It's all in one spot. And that's all at citizendetectivepodcast.com. It's your one-stop shop for everything Citizen Detective. Um, So with that, uh, how about back to Alex? The Mary Morris murders are two of the most talked about cases in true crime forums. Why? Two women, Mary Henderson Morris and Mary McGinnis Morris, were both found murdered in their cars three days apart. The locations were each in a remote area in or near Houston. The victims were similar in looks, and both were missing a ring. Theories abound as to who was responsible for the murders. Some believe the killings were random, while many others are convinced it was the result of an assassination gone wrong. Authorities were unable to find any leads in the murder of Mary Henderson Morris. They looked at her husband, but reports state that he was quickly ruled out as a suspect. They investigated Mary McGinnis Morris's husband, finding several indications of suspicious behavior. Another suspect in the McGinnis Morris case was someone who worked for her and who bore quite the grudge. Our guest tonight is Marilyn Blaylock, daughter of Mary Henderson Morris. We also have our esteemed panelists, retired Seattle homicide detective Cloyd Steiger and Susanna Ryan, lab director of Pure Gold Forensics. With that, I'm going to turn it back over to Morph to get us started on the mind-boggling Mary Mortis murders. So let's go to Houston, which is a big, giant city in the big state of Texas. It's the fourth largest city in the United States behind Chicago, Los Angeles, and New York City. With a population of approximately 2.3 million people, Houston is the most populous city within Harris County, which contains nearly 5 million residents. Harris County is known for several major homicides, including the Icebox murders from 1965 and the unsolved series of murders known as the Texas Killing Fields cases. Houston is considered the energy capital of the world. It's a major player in the oil and gas business. It's the headquarters of virtually all sections of the energy industry, including exploration, extraction, supply, and marketing. Nearly one-third of U.S. oil and gas extraction jobs are in Houston. And Houston is home to NASA's Lyndon B. Johnson Space Center and the Christopher C. Kraft Jr. Mission Control Center. Mission Control, known affectionately as Houston, manages all flight control for the nation's space program, and it's currently part of the International Space Station program. Baytown is a small suburb of the greater Houston metropolitan area, with a population of just over 78,000 people. Baytown is located at the mouth of the San Jacinto River, 28 miles east of Houston. And our story tonight begins in Baytown with the murder of Mary Henderson Morris. Mary Henderson Morris lived in Baytown with her second husband, Jay Morris. She was 48 years old and the mother of two children from her first marriage, Marilyn and Billy. Mary worked in the auto loan department at Chase Bank just a few miles from her home. 
Mary was tall and slim at 5'10 and 130 pounds with brown medium length hair. Her daughter, Marilyn, describes Mary as kind and selfless, always putting others before herself. She was energetic, always on the go and an avid crafter. Mary loved her family and enjoyed spending time with her grandchildren. On Thursday, October 12, 2000, Mary left for work at 6 o'clock a.m., her usual departure time. Her husband, Jay, walked Mary to her car and watched her drive off, turning left toward a nearby gas station where she often stopped before work. Mary never showed up for work and her absence was noticed by her co-workers. Mary worked at Chase for 16 years and had a reputation for being extremely dependable and punctual. It was completely out of character for her to miss work, let alone just fail to show up. At 2 p.m., Mary's supervisor called the Morris home and spoke to Jay. The supervisor asked if Mary was there, and Jay responded that she was at work. Without either party saying more, the call ended. The supervisor didn't mention who she was or that Mary never arrived at work. Jay Morris usually spoke with his wife four or five times while she was at work. He thought it odd that she ha- he hadn't heard from Mary at all that day, but he presumed she was busy and wasn't concerned. After the call, Jay gave it some more thought and called the bank asking to speak to Mary. He was told that Mary never made it to work. Jay was now worried that something was wrong. Sometime between 3.30 and 4 p.m., Jay called authorities and reported his wife missing after he called Mary's daughter, Marilyn, to give her the news. Marilyn was concerned, of course, thinking perhaps her mother was in an accident on the way to work, and Marilyn's children were still at school, and she couldn't leave until they got home. While she waited, Marilyn called local hospitals, asking if they admitted a Mary Morris or a Jane Doe, and the hospitals hadn't. She also called her father, Joe Henderson. Henderson owned a towing company, and she asked if anyone reported the wreck of a Chevy Lumina that day, but there were no calls to tow the Lumina. After her children came home from school, Marilyn headed to her mother's house in Baytown to help Jay with the search. Starting at the house, Jay and Mary began to retrace Mary's steps. They they found that Mary forgot to take her cell phone with her when she left for work, and the two headed out in Jay's truck to look for Mary driving the road she regularly took to work. They found no signs of Mary or her car. They drove through the Chase Bank parking garage and didn't find the Lumina. Still concerned that Mary was in an accident, Jay and Marilyn drove back to the Morris home. At 10.20 a.m. that morning, 911 received a report of smoke in a remote area of Baytown. Thinking the smoke likely came from someone burning brush, the Harris County Fire Department ignored the report. At 5 o'clock p.m., an ATV rider spotted a burned-out car in the same location as the smoke. The rider called authorities and reported his discovery. Joe Henderson had a friend who worked for a local news station. The friend advised Joe of a 911 call about a burned car off Interstate 10. Jay and Marilyn headed out again to see what they could find out. Marilyn drove and Jay guided her to Crosby Cedar Bayou a two-lane road in Baytown, about three miles from the house and in the opposite direction of Chase Bank. About one half mile down the road, they saw a police car parked outside the gate of a driveway. It was October, and the area was permeated by darkness. Jay and Marilyn could not see very far past the police car. They asked about the burning car, and the deputy advised them to go home and wait to be contacted. After some insistence, 
The deputy finally confirmed the burned car report, but told them he did not know if there was a body inside. Marilyn returned to the house with her stepfather. Approximately 15 minutes after they arrived, Harris County deputies knocked on the door. They confirmed that the burned car was Mary's and that they believed human remains were inside. Marilyn was devastated by the news, but according to her, Jay remained calm and unemotional. Deputies from the Harris County Sheriff's Office, along with the Harris County Fire Department, responded to the scene. The location was on Harris County Drainage District property, about 50 yards from the Crosby Cedar Bayou Road. Between some trees and the drainage ditch, they found a charred Chevy, Chevy Lumina inside. On the passenger seat was a body burned beyond recognition. They identified the car as belonging to Mary Henderson Morris. The body, however, was so badly damaged that they were unable to confirm the victim's identity. Investigators from the fire department determined that massive amounts of a powerful accelerant were used to set the car on fire, leading them to conclude that they were dealing with a homicide. Trees surrounding the car were scorched, and the fire burned so hot that it incinerated most of the car and melted the tires. Based on the extremely high temperature of the blaze, authorities ruled out gasoline as the accelerant. In fact, high levels of certain chemicals found in the alumina led detectives to believe that some sort of fertilizer was used. The Harris County Medical Examiner was unable to determine cause of death as the body was so severely burned. Recovered tooth fragments allowed for identification three days later, however, confirming that the body belonged to Mary Henderson Morris. Inside the car, investigators found Mary's jewelry, some of which was melted. Two items were missing, however, Mary's purse and her wedding ring. Despite the missing purse, the presence of the jewelry led authorities to conclude that robbery was not the motive for the murder. Investigators questioned Jay Morris about the events of October 12th. Jay told them Mary left for work at 6 a.m. As he watched Mary drive away, he saw her take her usual left turn toward the near, nearby gas station, after which he lost sight of her. Jay Morris also informed deputies that he drove down Crosby Cedar Bayou Road early on the morning of the 12th. He advised that he went to look at, the, at a horse for sale in the area. Deputies spoke to the seller of the horse, confirming that Jay was indeed there that morning. The seller advised that Jay was not there long, leaving shortly after he arrived. Investigators were understandably suspicious. Jay Morris was inordinately calm and detached throughout the questioning leading them to ask Morris if he would undergo a polygraph examination. But he declined, stating that as a teenager, he worked for a convenience store that regularly required their employees to take lie detector tests, which they always failed. The gas station attendant reported seeing a female customer that might have been Mary. By the time the attendant's interview, the station had already recorded over the video surveillance from the day in question, rendering it useless to confirm whether Mary had been there or not. Harris County had no other leads to follow in the murder. According to family and colleagues, the middle-aged wife and mother was well-liked and had no known enemies. Those close to her had no idea who would want to kill Mary Morris. Mary's funeral took place on October 16, 2000, four days after her death. On the same day, Mary's daughter Marilyn contacted the Harris County Medical Examiner's Office to collect her mother's jewelry. During that call, Marilyn was told that she could pick the items up at the office after the funeral, and Marilyn was perplexed, to say the least. She had just buried her mother that day. She responded, advising that the funeral was over. 
The medical examiner's office was confused as well. They told Marilyn that Mary Morris's remains had not been released to the funeral home. They put Marilyn on hold and transferred her to numerous individuals before solving the puzzle. The woman in the morgue was a different Mary Morris. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games games released each week. You can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus. 3 days after Mary Henderson Morris was killed, another woman was found dead in her car from a gunshot wound. The woman's name was Mary McGinnis Morris. The location was also in a remote area near Houston, this time on the opposite side of Harris County. Mary McGinnis Morris was 39 at the time of her death. She and her husband of 17 years, Mike Morris, had a 15-year-old daughter, Catherine, known as Katie. Mike had medium pardon me, Mary had medium-length brown hair that she wore in a style similar to Mary Henderson Morris. Mary McGinnis Morris worked as a nurse practitioner for Union Carbide in Houston. Mary, Mike, and Katie moved to Houston from West Virginia in 1998 after Mary accepted a position as medical director for Union Carbide. Mary was a happy, joyful person who loved, lived life to its fullest. She grew to love the new city, her new job, and made many friends during the two years she lived in Houston. On Sunday, October 15th, just three days after the Mary, Morris, Mary Henderson Morris killing, Mary McGinnis Morris left home to run errands, as she often did on Sundays. She stopped at a flu clinic, where she administered a shot to her friend, Lori Gemmel. After that, Mary went to the post office, the grocery store, and Eckerd Drugstore on West Little York Road, off Interstate 290. When Mary left the drugstore, she phoned Lori Gemmel and told her that there was a man in the store who, quote, creeped her out. According to Lori, Mary did not sound frightened, but was more matter-of-fact about the creepy guy. She told Lori that she was heading back to Union Carbide to log out of her work computer. Twelve minutes after the call to Lori, Mary called 911. During the call, Mary was attacked. Authorities have never released the 911 call or the transcript of said call, but have stated publicly that the content of the call was chilling. Mary never returned home that evening. Her husband, Mike, phoned authorities and reported his wife missing. The next morning, a record driver came across Mary's company car, a brand new Dodge Intrepid, parked on West Little York Road. Mary was inside, dead from a single gunshot wound to the head. Harris County's deputies arrived at the scene and, at first glance, thought the death was a suicide. Further investigation revealed evidence that Mary did not kill herself but was murdered. The medical examiner found that Mary had been beaten gagged, and then shot. There was blood inside the car, and the passenger door was open. 
Her clothing was torn, and she had bruising on her wrist. The gun was near Mary's body. Investigators quickly determined that it was registered to Mary's husband, Mike. Like Mary Henderson Morris, Mary McGinnis Morris was missing a ring that she always wore. The missing rings in both cases led detectives to explore the possibility that the murders were the result of a hired hit gone wrong. Hitmen often take wedding rings as proof of completion of the hit. The theory, a popular one among true crime community, is that someone hired a hitman to kill Mary McGinnis Morris. The hitman mistook Mary Henderson Morris for his intended target, killing her in error. According to Mary's daughter, Katie, the ring was not taken from her mother during the attack, though. She claims that the ring was found later in the house, and we'll discuss this bit uh, a little further on. The investigations into the two Mary Morris murders were conducted separately by two different detectives. Detective Robert Tonry was the lead investigator on the Mary Henderson Morris case. Major Wayne Coleman was in charge of the Mary McGinnis Morris murder. Some collaboration took place, the investigators looking into potential connections between the victims. Unfortunately, they found nothing linking them together. Sources claim that the Houston Chronicle received a call the day after Mary Henderson Morris was found. The caller was allegedly an unidentified male who said they got the wrong Mary Morris. The sources state that the Chronicle initially believed that the call was a prank and dismissed it. Later, the news publication denied receiving the call. In a 2002 episode of Unsolved Mysteries, Lori Gemmel claims she verified the receipt of the call with someone at the paper. Detectives quickly ruled out Jay Morris as a viable suspect. Despite behavior that some might consider suspicious, the investigation revealed no evidence that Jay and Mary had anything other than a happy marriage. Marilyn Blaylock, however, provided us with some information that has not been covered in other reporting. And according to Marilyn, the sheriff's department never searched the home where Mary and Jay lived. Within days after her death, Jay signed the car's title over and emptied the house of Mary's belongings, never allowing Marilyn to go through anything. Jay Morris was an avid horseman, and he owned several horses, including one named Bubba, that he loved dearly. Within the year, Jay sold the house and his horses, and he married a Russian woman with whom he had corresponded by mail. Unlike Henderson Morris, who had no enemies and appeared to be in a happy marriage, there were two people in Mary McGinnis Morris's life who raised red flags for law enforcement. The first was Mary's husband, Mike Morris. We've talked before on the show about homicide investigations turning first to the spouse. Knowing that, it's not surprising that the first person investigators looked at was Mike Morris. Mike was suspect for multiple reasons. First, his marriage to Mary was troubled. Mike struggled to find steady employment, putting a financial strain on the family. At some point, Mike suspected Mary of having an affair with a male friend. He confronted Mary and the friend and both vehemently denied any impropriety. Mike said he believed Mary, but family members report that he never trusted her after that and even followed her on occasion. Mary confided in her sister, Stephanie Lore, that she had, in fact, fallen in love with another man, but that she did not intend on ending her marriage. She was determined to make it work with Mike. Most reports state that Mike took out a $700,000 life insurance policy on Mary, of which he was the beneficiary. According to Mary's daughter, Katie, the reports are not accurate. 
She claims there was a policy, but it was for far less than 700 grand. She also claims that she, not Mike, received the payout. In addition to the life insurance, Mike's behavior after the murder raised red flags. On one hand, Mike gave the sheriff's office permission to search his home, take a blood sample and fingerprints. On the other hand, he refused to be interviewed without an attorney present and, like Jay Morris, refused to take a polygraph test. The reason he gave for declining the polygraph was that he was afraid his anxiety medication would skew the results. Mike allegedly had an alibi for the time of the murder. He told detectives that he and Katie went to see a movie. Mike refused to allow any questioning of Katie for two months. We do not know of any evidence proving or disproving the alibi. We also have no information pertaining to any subsequent interviews of Katie. Investigators retrieved Mary's cell phone records. The records showed a four-minute call from Mike at 7.11 p.m., two hours after the 911 call. Mike denied talking with Mary. He said he called and let the phone ring, but she never answered. The phone carrier, however, confirmed that the call was completed. Reports state that this was the last incoming call to Mary's phone. A photo of the cell phone bill is available on the Unsolved Mysteries website. If this is a shot of the actual bill, there are numerous incoming calls before and after Mike's. The bill shows one two-minute call at 5.50 p.m., three minutes after the 911 call. Additionally, seven two-minute calls came in after Mike's, starting at 8.08 p.m. on October 15th and ending at 7.45 p.m. on the 16th. Detective Coleman looked into the possibility that Mike Morris hired someone to kill his wife. The doors to the Intrepid locked automatically when the car was in gear. Coleman theorized that the killer had to know how to work around the door lock mechanism and know that the gun was under the seat. His theory about the four-minute call from Mike was that he called and spoke with the killer to confirm completion of the lethal transaction. Second person of interest is a man named Dwayne Young. Young was a nurse who worked for Mary McGinnis Morris at Union Carbide. He began as a temporary employee in early 2000. Eventually, he, given full, he was given full-time employment and joined Mary's staff. Mary and Young did not get along, to say the least. Young questioned Mary's authority, despite being her subordinate, and often complained to Mary's supervisors. He was known for becoming easily agitated and angry. According to Larry Gemmel, Mary was afraid of Dwayne Young. His anger at her escalated, and she believed that he was going to harm her. A few weeks before her murder, an incident occurred that shook Mary McGinnis Morris to her core. On her work desk, Mary found her personal photos turned around, all facing backward. Written on the desk calendar were the words, death to her. Based on Mary's experience with Young, she assumed he was responsible for the threat that was directed at her. Frightened, Mary went directly to her supervisors to report the incident. They told her to go home and not come in on Friday. After she left work, Mary called Mike asking him to buy her a gun and teach her how to use it. Mike did as Mary asked and placed the gun under the driver's seat of the Intrepid. Later that day, Young returned to work to have his time card signed. When he arrived, he caused quite the scene, banging on the windows and demanding to see Mary and Young was escorted out of the building and fired. Detectives questioned Dwayne Young in the murder of Mary McGinnis Morris, and Young denied any involvement in Mary's death and claimed that the incident at Union Carbide never happened. According to Marilyn Blaylock, 
Young failed two polygraphs, failures examiners attributed to medications Young was taking. Lori Gemmel has stated that during her call, Mary told her that she may have recognized the creepy guy from Eckerd Drugstore. Mary believed that she had met him through Dwayne Young. Young once attended a party at the Morris home, and the couple went to one of his. We don't know, we do not have clarification on where she met this man, but perhaps it was at Young's party. Although Young may be a viable suspect for the murder, law enforcement does not have the evidence to make an arrest, and Young is still considered a person of interest in the case, although Harris County remains open to possibilities that someone else committed the crime. About six months after the death of Mary Henderson Morris, Jay discovered $2,000 in phone charges on Mary's calling card. Jay turned the information over to the sheriff's office, who traced the calls to a 16-year-old girl in Galveston, Texas, 50 miles southeast of Houston. The girl advised that she found a card in a discarded purse at a convenience store in Galveston. She kept the card and gave the purse to a neighbor. Deputies retrieved the purse from the neighbor and showed it to Mary's family. According to them, Mary never owned a purse like the one found by the girl. Around the same time as the phone charges, Jay Morris received calls to his unlisted number from a person or persons asking to speak to Mary. Jay thought the calls were strange and only responded that Mary was not home. Jay reported the calls to the sheriff and was told to give callers Detective Tondry's number. The next time someone called, Jay gave them Tondry's contact info. The caller replied, oh yeah, right, hung up and never called again. The sheriff's office traced the call to an apartment in Baytown on Northwood Street, but they were never able to identify the caller. A few months after the murders, the Carroll Sun Carrington Memorial Reward Fund doubled a $5,000 reward offered for information leading to the capture of the killer or killers in the Mary Morris cases. Carol Sund was the victim of serial killer Carrie Stainer, who murdered Sund and Silvina Peloso during a trip to Yosemite National Park. A year later, Katie Morris was seen wearing the ring that was reportedly stolen from her mother. At this time, Mike claimed that he was initially mistaken and that Mary was not wearing the ring on the day she was killed. He found it months later and just forgot to tell police. In 2002, the hit show Unsolved Mysteries aired an episode about the Mary Morris murders. Harris County was hopeful that the episode would generate more leads in the cases, but nothing new came in. That year, Detective Kuhlman stated publicly that he did not believe the two cases were connected. He didn't buy into the hired hit gone wrong theory, doubting that a hitman would have mistaken the identity of his intended victim. Two women with the same name murdered three days apart in the same city. Both suffered violent deaths and both were found in their cars in remote areas of Houston. The two Marys looked somewhat alike, even wearing similar hairstyles. Were the murders connected, or if this is a case of pure coincidence? Perhaps the answer lies somewhere in between. Anyone with information about the murder of Mary Henderson Morris or Mary McGinnis Morris is encouraged to call Houston Crime Stoppers at 713-222-TIPS. 
Fall is here and class is back in session. It's a busy time for students and faculty, and with a new school year comes new adventures, new experiences, and new goals to achieve. But as much promise and excitement as the fall semester brings, there can also be a dark side to it, one in which the unthinkable can happen. I'm Amy Slashberg. And I'm Megan Sachs. And we're the host of the podcast Campus Killings. As educators and criminologists, we teach, research, write, and podcast about victims, offenders, and the issues that surround our criminal justice system. Amy and I have both worked in the field of criminal justice for 20 years, myself in law enforcement and Amy in the mental health field. In Campus Killings, we'll dive into some of the most shocking and tragic murders to happen on school grounds, and we'll provide our analysis on the cases we cover as both educators and trained criminologists. We'll discuss what went wrong and what could have been done differently to prevent the tragic outcome. Campus Killings is available everywhere you listen to podcasts. Subscribe now so you don't miss a single episode of Campus Killings. And shortly, Marilyn Blaylock will be here to share her story about these cases. But before Marilyn comes on, Cloyd Steiger and Susanna Ryan will join the discussion with their insights into the investigation, the theories, and the opportunities for forensic testing in both cases. And with that, let's go to Lee for his thoughts on the Mary Morris murders. I just wanted to come in with this. I noticed this was something omitted. Probably should have caught it when I read over the script, but... Carrie Stainer, the serial killer who was mentioned there, didn't just kill um, Carol Sund and Sylvina Peloso. He also killed Julie Sund and Joey Armstrong. So I just wanted to cover all the victims there. Mary Morris murders. What do I think? Okay, well, there's a lot to talk about, and I could really shoot my wad here going through everything. But I really want to talk about the connection. And it's an interesting one. It's intriguing. Could it have been a hit on the second Mary Morris and the first Mary Morris was a mistaken victim? Yes, it could have been. But I want to point something out. It's not like Mary Morris is a really unusual name. It's, it's not unusual at all. It's a very common name. If we had two people called Finbar Oliphant or Ursula Nagasaki that were murdered in Texas, then that would be something where it's like, that's definitely a hitman. But Mary Morris is one of the most common names in the Anglosphere. I'll give you an example of this. Mary was the most popular baby name in the USA for girls for 60 years from the 1880s to 1946. It took a dip to number two for a little bit when Linda moved up to the front. But then 1953 to 1961, Mary became the most popular name again. I think both victims were born in this time period, even if they weren't. The point is, Mary's an extraordinary popular name. What about Morris? Okay, Mary um, Morris is a very common name. It's the 805th most common name in the world. So you've got to put on all your Patels and Takanas and Sings. You've got to put them in there too, along with your Smiths and Joneses. Morris is very common. 54th in the US, 18th in Wales, where I am right now. So if you think of the whole world as just a, a, a number of probabilities running all the time, at some point in time, there is going to be two people called Mary Morris who were killed within a major center like Houston uh, around the same period of time. I'm sure if we were looking at other names with this, we would we would found, uh, hey, did you know that in London at one time, there were three John Smiths killed within two weeks? I wouldn't be surprised if you found these things. So just from a statistical point of view, this is going to happen. I remember in the, the case of the, um, was it the Alphabet Murders? Or the eight, it was the Alphabet Murders in Rochester, New York. There was a Carmen Colon who was a victim, uh, a child victim of this awful sexual serial killer. Then a guy called Joseph Nazo 
a, ser- um, a serial killer. He was apprehended uh, late into his career, and it turned out that he had killed someone called Carmen Colon, and all the victims in the um, Alphabet case had double initial names, and Nassau's known victims all had double initial names too. So, the, the, I mean, is this some sort of psychological thing with, with NASA? Well, unlikely. My point is that coincidences happen. Um, these things pop up. You know, ask any insurance agent. They're going to tell you the same. Ask any scientist. So it's possible that they were killed by the same person. I'm actually thinking it probably wasn't. At least you want to err on that side. So where do we go from there? Okay, if it was a hitman, you got to ask yourself, how did the hitman get it, hitman get it wrong? You might say, well, he, he killed this woman called Mary Morris, but actually it was this one. It was a mistaken identity. Well, how do you mistake that identity? How does that actually happen? Do you look in the phone book for the name and go to the wrong address? Because to my knowledge, and based on what I remember from living at this point in time where people were in phone books, married people were under the husband's name. So that's not how it would happen. So you got to ask yourself, well, how would that feasibly happen? I want you to kill Mary Morris for me. Okay. If, the, if you're not just going looking in the phone book for a, for a number, you got to need some other piece of information there. Well, where does she live? Where does she go to work? So even if they look somewhat alike, which they really, I don't think they do, but even if they do look superficially alike in a descriptive sense, I would need to ex- explain to me how this person messes this up. I, I want you to kill a Mary Morris in Houston. No more. You've got to figure it out by yourself. People don't do that. They, they want you to be accurate. So I think it's unlikely. Uh, there's some MO overlap. Of course, there's the car, right? Um, but other than that, and the Mary Morris, not much. So I have a whole list of notes on Mary Henderson Morris, on Mary McGinnis Morris here, but I, I don't want to spend all this time doing a monologue. We can bring this out in the discussions. I want to invite up uh, Morph and Alex right now just to go over what I talked about. And then as we get into the program, we'll go over some more of my observations with, with Cloyd and Susanna. Welcome back, guys. Hey. I like your uh, analysis. I, I'm some, some valid points for sure. The Mary Morris name, very common uh, in a city that size. There's, there's bound to be a bunch of Mary Morrises. Um, you know, I think the, the car thing is certainly interesting, um, both being found there as opposed to in their home, at work, out in these deserted areas by themselves in a car. Uh, does jump out to me but uh again enough overlap that maybe some things are gonna you know just coincidentally be similar uh as opposed to if they were both found in a you know tied to a tree or something like that then it would be a lot more you know specific um so maybe it, it is just a coincidence but i can see why a lot of people definitely think that these cases could be connected because there is some some overlap for sure in the realm of coincidences on our show, this is much. This is a coincidence that's much more likely to happen than, say, the Torrey Pines Beach murders, where we had the same beach, uh, women killed on the on, on that same stretch of beach, and subject to the the same types of violence, women that are in the same age group. That is much more of a really. Are we going to say that's different guys? And I think we can, but it's it's much more of a case of that than this. This is just just a name and a car. Patricia Burns has a comment. She says, I know a woman called Mary Morris and I know a woman called Mary McGinnis and my mom's name is Mary. Yeah. It's, it's very, very common. Uh, For me, what stands out is the lack of 
details about the timeline with Mary Henderson Morris. The story begins when she allegedly left for work at 6 a.m. I found nothing about the timeline, her activities on the day before from the time she got home to work up until 6 p.m. And to me, that's a really big standout. Um, Whether I'm sure that law enforcement investigators do have that information, but that's just seems, it seems that the assumption in this case is that the story begins at 6 a.m. on the day they found her. And I'm, I would like to know more about what went on the day before. Um, Especially when we know that her cell phone was left at home. I mean, yes, it was 2000. We weren't as tied to our phones as we were, as we are now, but if, they had contact numerous times a day, she and her husband, and the phone was left at home. Perhaps she didn't just forget it. So that's what really stands out to me. Everything else in the McGinnis Morris case seems to be much more fleshed out in terms mm-hmm. of other people accounting for her whereabouts, but that's just not true with Henderson Morris. Yeah, I think what you're getting at, Alex, is really past a certain point, we're just relying on Jay Morris. And yes, we Jay are. Morris could be mistaken, of course, because he's the husband, just naturally. He has to be a suspect. And so for those reasons, if we're just relying on him, we don't know what happened. She could have if he had done it, if he had done it, if it, it could have been the night before. He could have been killed quite some time uh beforehand. Um you, you say cell phone left behind. Was it left behind? Did she leave the house at all as, as a living person? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's some of my thoughts on that case too. And, and I think I, Mar- I was going to say, I think Marilyn may able to, when she comes on to give us some, some geography uh, in that area, because let's, mm-hmm. you know, let's say a scenario where uh, Jay Morris uh, is involved somehow. He disposed of her car there and he uh, set it on fire. Let's go down that road. Uh, how did, how far is it to get back and how would he get back unless he had help? Um, mm-hmm. Is it someplace he can walk to in a you know reasonable amount of time, or would he need a ride? And therefore, there could be a second person involved. So, Good I look question. forward to seeing what Marilyn yeah. has to say about that. Great observation, Morph. Uh, whenever you have someone who takes the car and ditches the car, as we had in the Colonial Parkways murder case, you then have to explain how they got back, particularly if it was any distance. And if I remember correctly, with Jay Henderson Morris, um, a couple hours after the car was reported burning, he arrived at this horse farm. And we can assume, I think he probably arrived there in a car. So there is there is a tight time frame for him there to get another vehicle if he did it and and get to this horse farm. So I think, honestly, this case is all about alibis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kathy Arnott says, what guy watches his wife drive until they can't see her anymore? I, I mean, I depending know. depending on the layout, I mean, I could see if it, if it's like a long, you know, dirt road to get out to the road and you look out the window and you see, I've watched my wife drive off and I mean, I don't stand there staring till I can't see her anymore, but depending on the layout of their property, it might just be where he can see out right. that way and, and see that she turned and, and that was that. Um, so I don't, I don't know if you can draw too much from that. Right. I think I think everything's a bit suspect now. Morph doesn't have his goatee. I got to be honest with you. <laughs> He's awfully schmoove. <laughs> the other thing that stood out to me is if it's true that the sheriff's office never searched 
the Henderson Morris home. Hmm. I find that 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 to me really stands out. If and Marilyn told me that, and was that just? I think that's a cloyed. I mean, let's, let's bring that into cloyed. Yeah, because you yeah. think that that should be protocol, but I don't know if it's like protocol. I mean, you still have to ask. Still have to get a warrant for that. I don't know. So let's mm-hmm. ask Cloyd. Right. I, I think a lot of people have been suspicious of the husbands in this case, uh, and you know. With Jay, for example, for the way he acted, I think we've probably all covered enough cases to where we know the not everyone responds the same way to grief yeah. or um, and, you know, he could have been a shitty husband that really didn't care that his wife died. But that doesn't mean that he murdered her. So I think we have to err on the side of caution that uh, maybe he wasn't heartbroken that she was gone. But that doesn't mean that he was involved in it. Yeah, one of the things I want to remind people is uh, true true crime uh, fans, uh, people who are interested in crime, hold these discrepant beliefs in their mind at the same time. They're very happy to all pounce on a suspect because he's acting weird, while at the same time getting really outraged at law enforcement every time some weirdo locally is wrongfully convicted or prosecuted with a crime. You have to live by your own standards. So if you're like, I know the husband did it. He acted weird. But Damien Eccles... Why would they ever think it was him, right? You got to reconcile it in yourself because you're just as much as the problem. So the point is, just because somebody's acting a little off, it, it doesn't mean it's anything. This, this came up with that case in um, Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, Patrice, what was her last name? The um, the black lady that went missing in northern Georgia, Patrice something. Do you remember that one, Morph? I do. The, the, the name is escaping yeah, and the husband, he, he acted kind of creepy afterwards, but the people are saying, well, he must have done it. You know, there's there, but there's objective facts, like the likelihood he could have given the timeline. So acting creepy it, you know, it, in, in itself, it's not enough. And you have to be very careful that you don't, um, in, creepy or insensitive, that you, that you don't destroy someone's life with your suspicion. So reconcile those two things. And I bet you Cloy could probably tell us about some creepy people that he's probably had feelings about, but it wasn't enough to really, you know, it wasn't evidence. Mm-hmm. I'm creepy. One thing I'd like, <laughs> you're not creepy. One thing I'd like to bring up is don't jump on Mike Morris's having an attorney present as evidence of guilt. We talked about that, you know, investigations again turn first to the spouse and so it is perfectly reasonable for someone who is being questioned especially in the murder of their spouse to have an attorney present to protect their rights Mm -hmm. and certainly the asking for attorney that's not something you could use as evidence in a prosecution against him um denial of the polygraph denial of access to the daughter. I can think of, I'm not, again, denying a polygraph is not something that you can use in court. It's not evidence. It's not going to be allowed. There's plenty of good reasons why you would want to deny a polygraph. What attorney in the world would say, take a polygraph. Exactly. Exactly. How how does Um, it help you? Right. Like does does law enforcement really think you did it? And then the polygraph fails. Like, ah, fuck. Oh, the polygraph failed. It's never coming into court. It's an investigative tool. That's all it is. And even denial of access to Katie, the daughter, that could be fairly reasonable for a father to think that they were protecting their child. I mean, there are things that 
raise suspicions about his involvement, but the things that people seem to jump on, the asking for an attorney to be present, denial of the mm-hmm. polygraph, these aren't the things that you should jump on, in my, yes. opinion, in my legal opinion. Yeah, to give another example of uh, an egregious focusing on someone who is innocent, in 1980-81 in Canada, there was a number of babies that died at six Sick Kids Hospital in Toronto, and they focused on this one nurse, Susan Nellis. And they came to question her and she said, well, I want to talk to my attorney. Oh, aha. Only a guilty person would say that. Well, no, Susan Nellis was educated. She was from um, an upper middle class family of doctors and lawyers in Belleville, Ontario. And she just thought differently about these type of things. And it turned out that she couldn't have done it. And they spent all this time and money going down down the Susan Nellis path. And it didn't help anyone. It just, it just hurt everyone involved. So with that, should we move on? Yeah, let's get Claude and Susanna up here and see what their take is. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. So, Coit, if you could give us your opinions on the investigation and some of the points we raised, let's start with you. Well, I want to start out with something that will shock you all. Lee Miller is a thousand percent correct. <laughs> you know, there are there are all these issues. First of all, first of all, I want to say when you're identifying the investigators, no major investigated this case. He oversaw the case. There's a detective somewhere down the chain that actually investigated the case. And that he's throwing himself as the investigator is an ego trip on his part. But a hundred percent agree, uh what do we have in common? We have the name, and they're found in cars. Other than that, we have nothing in common. One of them was shot. We don't know how the other one died, but you certainly wasn't shot, or that would have showed up in an autopsy, no matter how burned the body was. We have uh, rings missing, but not really, only on one of them, which raises another question. What wife leaves her wedding ring at home? only one that's in a bad marriage is thinking about getting out, right? That takes her wedding ring off. No woman takes her wedding ring off unless there's a reason for it and left it at home. Uh, they were found in the car. There was no fire in one and there was fire in the other. Uh, so, yeah, these these cases, if it wasn't for the name, no one would even think that these cases are related. Not at all. Because they're so different. Um, I, I Again, uh, you know, the, the things that raise the questions on the first Mary, and I forgot her middle name. The first Mary is her, her husband married 
someone months later, <laughs> a Russian woman he met online. And in, in my business, we call that a clue, okay? <laughs> He's run out to marry somebody else. Um, and again, the whole polygraph thing, I'm not a big fan of polygraphs. Do I think it should be eliminated? No. I, I Like I said, I, I, I worked over 250 murders. I only gave two polygraphs in that entire time of any, and they were both witnesses. They weren't the suspect. And to see if the witnesses were lying to me. And the the issue isn't the whole thing. It's 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 a tool. It's it's not something to rely on. It, it doesn't matter what they say or what they fail. The polygraph is only as good as the person that's giving it. And if that person's a good interrogator, that'll show up. That you know, I wrote a book about a case, a serial killer in the case, where this guy confessed to serial killing to a polygraph operator, and they hadn't even started the test yet. Because the polygraph operator was a good interrogator and got him to say that he killed these people before he was even hooked up to the machine. <coughs> Excuse me. Again, um, yeah, I, I I don't like – I think both of them have problems. <coughs> Excuse me. I think the – do you look at the husbands? Of course you do. Because 99% of the time, that's the person that did it. And so there's other stuff we can do. And see what happened. And you know the the whole call, the card and the purse. That's a little weird that the card was put in the purse. It wasn't the victims, but you know, it, it, off the top, I like the husbands of both cases. You know, as far as uh, as far as the second husband having a motive, in my experience, husbands that hire hitmen to kill their wives, and I've had a couple of these, make a point to make sure they have an alibi. You know, they go, one of them took a plane to Atlanta and was in the middle of the air when this happened. He couldn't have done it because, you know, he didn't do it. He just hired somebody to do it. Or go to a movie with my my daughter. What a coincidence. He'd go to a movie right at the time this mm -hmm. happened. The other question I have is, like Morph said, you're going to watch this, the, the first husband, watch her leave. You know, yeah, okay, bye. Usually it's like, see you later. They walk out the door. And he makes a point to say she turned toward the gas station. I don't want to criticize my brethren, but what the hell were the Houston, or Harris County Sheriff's detectives doing not going to that gas station right away and getting the video the first day? Maybe maybe they turned it over every day. Maybe that happens. Sometimes that happens. But, man, that would have been good video. And then the other – this guy's found – she's found the opposite direction she should have been. And it happens to be on the way this guy was going out to see a horse that day. He, points, he puts himself there, and he got there and left immediately. Why are you leaving immediately? I talked to the guy. How long was he here exactly? He was here to look at a horse. Did he look at the horse? Did he just shot, show up to get a convenient alibi and then leave? But coincidentally, it happens to be right on the same road or in the same part of town where his wife would be found later murdered. I, you know, And he didn't notice the smoke. I think these both cases committed by different people. Was it the husband's? Probably. I don't know for sure, mm. but that's what I think. Well, we're yeah, with statistics, I, Cloyd, right? Mary yeah. Morris, very common. The next most common thing statistically is more likely to be killed by someone who knows them and more likely Absolutely. their husband Absolutely. than a stranger that's or a hitman. They, that's why they lean on the, the husband and wife. Of course, only Alex, an attorney, would say, yeah, he has a right to talk to an attorney. <laughs> he does, I know. <laughs> but, but really? It's just know? not unusual. It's not what you want to jump on. No, as it's not. Although, 
in my experience, people that are innocent don't do that. You know? right. They want to mm. tell you everything they know because their wife was murdered. They want to find out who killed their wife. Mm. Again, you can't hold that against them, and it absolutely is right, but only an attorney would say that. <laughs> and I, I think a lot of the answers in these cases lie to motive. What is the motive? Yeah. And without you knowing the motive, hard to determine where do you go? Which direction do you go in? Well, you know, I think a motive might be, I'd look at the Russian woman that the first Mary, her husband married. When did you start seeing him? When did this all happen? You know, I'm betting it was happened before the murder, right? And he needs to get rid of her. I'm just, that's the uh, cynical person in me. I am, but I see this all the time. Yeah, they, they, they want to get on the first, yeah, they want to get on, they want to get rid of that move on and you know instead of just divorcing because there'd be a financial cost to divorce they do this and you know some people are just bastards that's the way it works kathy uh go ahead i was gonna say kathy has a good question was the first mary's death announced the same day i don't think so because it took what three days to find her dental records and yeah they have to to identify her probably through Suzanne, I'll say from DNA right. from the tooth root or something, or you know, or dental records or whatever. But yeah, it takes a couple of days, so it's probably not the same day. Yeah, I don't buy that serial killer got the thing wrong because I've worked. I mean, that serial killer uh, hired killer. I've worked. I've worked murder for hire cases, and the person gives them all the details. She drives this car. She does this. She does this. Mm-hmm. She'll be here on this time. That uh, all stuff's in there. You're not going to go. Oh, Mary Morris, like Lee said, look it up in the, in the phone book. Oh, there's two. It must be this one. No. Again, because they're all listed in their husband's name. You're correct on that, Lee. And, and uh, you know, it, it's not that it's not that simple. It's much Unless you know, it's one of those people you call, what is it, a shit heel or whatever you call a local shit bird. Shit bird. Shit bird. Shit bird. That doesn't yeah, really know what you he's know, doing and somehow screws it up badly. And that's, I think, if this was leaning that way, there's a difference between a seasoned professional mafia hitman and some junkie or something. You give him yeah. five, ten thousand dollars $10,000. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I always used to joke, what do you find a hitman? Do you look on Hitman or Us? You know, because yeah, I, I had a great snitch. Who people always tried to call him, hire him to kill people, and he immediately called me and tell me, you know, he was great. And we got a couple people. <laughs> people tried to kill their families. This guy wants to hire me to kill me, kill his family. Okay, let's do it and wire him up and go in and do the thing. And yeah, because- I did find <laughs> yeah. three other cases. Uh, one in Australia, and I can't, I didn't write them down. In which a mistaken identity. It can happen, but it's very unlikely. Very unlikely. Yeah, I have a case uh, also out of Texas where that's kind of the leading theory is that it was a hit, but wrong house. And so (laughs) this woman, I mean, it's terrible. She's watching, you know, I don't know if it's the Super Bowl or football with her husband. Someone rings the doorbell. She goes to answer the door and she gets shot three times. And Mm -hmm. You know, no, just no known enemies, any of that. And then there's another uh, murder, same house address, but one block, one block. block (laughs) Sorry. There's an unsolved mysteries episode with a popular case that there, the two people lived across the street from each other with the same identical car. 
Oh. And the wrong person they think was killed. It was supposed to get, be the other guy on the other side of the street. Um, that's actually a, a pretty popular episode on Unsolved Mystery. So it does, it does definitely happen. And I think you're right. It depends on who you hire. Is it just some druggie off the street that you can right. you know, give a couple thousand dollars to, or whatever? And you know, or that's the, the difference between a true professional, right? <laughs> you pay for what you, you get, what you pay for, I guess. The, craft the reality thing. is that that people don't know how to contact somebody. They're just going to get the door right. down the street, right. You know, right? Or some guy that shows himself to be a, a tough guy, and that's mm-hmm. what they go with. Well, here's a question: I, I, We all have this idea of the professional hitman, like this elite guy that strangles people with piano wire. Right. Does that guy really <laughs> exist outside intelligence? No. no, I don't think he does. <laughs> I don't think um, so. No, yeah. it doesn't. It's all, yeah. Yeah. I remember um, uh, Michael Franzese. He's a former mafioso. He's got a, a podcast now. It's quite interesting. And uh, he was talking about Richard Kuklinski, where Kuklinski was saying, yeah, the, you know, the Gambino family were hiring me like six figures at a time to right. do hit. And Michael Franzese is like, no way. First of all, yeah. I never heard of this guy. Second of all, what do you right. think being in the mafia is? What do you think it is to be a made guy? We kill them ourselves. We don't, get paid, we don't pay someone six figures to do it. We take care of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. We have a comment from a new patron. Uh, K862 has a theory. Jay Morris kills his wife, realizes he needs better cover, makes anonymous wrong MM call, finds second MM, Mary Morris, kills her to make it appear that there was a hit out for the second Mary Morris. MO differences are irrelevant. What do you think? You'd have to know that the second Mary Morris had a gun under her seat. How's he going to know that? Mm-hmm. Right? Well, she pulls <laughs> the gun to protect yeah. herself. She knew where the gun was. Maybe she pulls the gun out that's, to that's protect herself. Called 911. Maybe. She called 911, but yeah. This is what I think. You, you, she shoots a guy. You've got a person who, in both cases, you've got women who are leaving their home, you know, allegedly in the first one, to, to go to work. Um, for different reasons. At some point, they have to be intercepted. It wasn't like they were driving on the road and some guy jumped out of the car and somehow got in. At some point, they stopped, and that's when the perpetrator accosted them. Now, if you're the second Mary Morris, this person is coming for you, what do you do? Well, you've asked your husband for a gun to protect yourself. Where is that? It's under the seat of the car. You grab it. Therefore, are you going to be successful and kill the person? No, I don't think so. I think it's I think it's difficult to take a gun and kill someone. Uh, more difficult, at least more difficult than we think. And this person could have easily just got the gun from her and killed her, and none of it was planned at all. As My far question as um, is, did they did they go to the store she was at when she said a creepy guy was there and looked at surveillance video there? Hmm. But hey, who's the guy that's no? They didn't. I mean, we don't know if they did. We don't have that information. No, no, I know, but. Presumably they didn't, or they'd have it on video, right? And did they wait? Just like, again, I don't know if the gas station just turned their stuff over every single day. I think they may have. Yeah. I I want to know the the second Mary, who supposedly had fallen in love with someone, I want to know if police talked to that other person. Uh, Thank you, more. Thank you, more. They might hold some some details. I would hope they did. Again, I don't know. I, I guarantee you this major didn't do any of this shit. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Don't do this stuff. Yeah, yeah. I said oh, major he... woman, but he may have been a major later and a detective uh, at the time. Marilyn might be able to clarify that. Uh, yeah. Well, first okay, of all, but... guys are 
guys that are good detectives don't become majors later. They just stay detectives. <laughs> That's my administrative versus yeah, uh, it's it's administrative versus real work. You know, I don't know. Right. Before before we move on though, this this idea that Dwayne Young might have been the creepy guy in in the gas station or someone that knew Dwayne Young that you kind of met at a party, I I'm, I'm thinking about this. It's somewhat advisable not to say what you would do, but I think at the same time, sometimes it's advisable to say, well, what would most people do? If I was in a gas station and there was a guy there creeping me out and I was talking to a friend or whatever, I'd be like, yeah, this guy is here. You know, Bill, I met him at a party and he's creeping yeah. me right. He creeped me out at the party. Or or this Dwayne Young guy from work who's been threatening me. He's here right now. He wouldn't be like, there's some guy. Yeah, exactly. You're exactly right. He's lurking it's around. I've seen this guy before. Yeah. Or it's Dwayne. It's obviously not Dwayne. She said, Dwayne's here. That's weird. What's he doing? He, right. It wasn't Dwayne. Right. Or Dwayne's friend that I met at a party is here. It wouldn't be that. It's got to be somebody else. Have you heard all the stories on the news lately about cold cases being solved by forensic genealogy? Are you fascinated by unsolved mysteries that you wish could be answered? Are you intrigued by DNA technology and its application to cold murder cases? Or do you just love a good story with a satisfying ending? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I have the podcast for you. DNA ID is the only true crime podcast dedicated exclusively to cold cases solved by forensic genealogy. On my show, you'll get all the behind-the-scenes details on how these cases were brought to closure and how the victims finally got justice. Listen to DNA ID Season 3 starting January 16th, 2023, wherever you get your podcasts. And I, I think we obviously have to talk about the, the DNA. I know Susanna wants to get to that because you've got a boned car that's burned so badly that what DNA can be found there yeah. and then what DNA can be found in the second case. Sure. Yeah. So obviously you're going to have a much better chance of finding something, some piece of evidence that's usable with the second case because the car wasn't burnt because they talked about she was gagged. Um, I'm wondering if that's still there. Uh, the gun was there. So while yes, I probably would expect to see her own DNA or maybe her husband's DNA, it might be possible to pick up the last person that handled that weapon um, the finger, you know, on the trigger, if you just like focus on the trigger or focus on the handle to try to see if there's a third contributor potentially present, um, that, that could be the perpetrator. Um, and, but, but I did want to say, even with the burned car, um, oh, and that, well, let me jump back to the other one. So the, the first one, I'm wondering if there was a casing left behind as well. Um, you know, that's not something in the <clears throat> in the notes, but it's quite possible that that casing was left behind. And we're, you know, at my lab at Pure Gold, we're having some pretty good success with casings. Um, just got such sensitive testing, so we're at about a fifty-three percent success rate. Which, you know, in uh, two thousand, I think five was the first time casings were tested, and it was a real small-scale study. And the paper that came out, eh, it wasn't even a peer review paper, but it was like, eh, we're not going to get any results. And everybody just kind of relied on that thinking, oh, it's too hot. It burns too hot. Firing that gun, mm -hmm. you're never going to get a result. So finally, people really started looking into it. And so now we know, yeah, it absolutely is possible. So that kind of brings us to the to the fire, right? So we have a car that's been on fire. Um, this is going to be a tough one because it sounds like it was a fire that burnt for a long time. 
and was potentially quite hot. So you can still get DNA results after a fire, but around 900, 1000 degrees C after that point, that's where we're seeing the, the disintegration or, or degradation of the DNA. So if you have a fire that is not quite as hot, doesn't burn as long, there is still a chance of getting results. Um, you know, I mean, I've worked cases where there's fires and, and cold cases and still getting some DNA results. So with that one, it is definitely a little more difficult. Um, I'm kind of curious, you know, they're, they're saying there's unknown cause of death. So that makes me think that perhaps there was no bullet located, which it would still be there even after the fire. Yeah, so, they'd know. If she was shot, one, they would know. Even yeah, one, well, one thing I wanted to bring up with regard to what you said, Cloyd, is that Marilyn told me that the body was burned so badly the skull was in ashes because I asked the same question. Wouldn't you see, you know, in the skull, some type of fragments or a hole or something. And she said that it was that far gone. Yeah. I've had, shot, I've had, remains. I've had she, uh, uh, bodies that were burned after being shot. And I've never had a case where they couldn't tell that. And, and what if she was shot and it didn't strike a bone? I mean, what if it was, well, it has to go through the skull. I mean, yeah, cool. yeah. unless she was shot in the stomach or oh, someplace yeah. else. Yeah. So then that bullet would still be there. Would it passed through if it passed it through been. her or even if it didn't pass through her and then her body is burned, it's still going to be in the car. It's not going to like disappear. I mean, I just. Mm -hmm. it's well, it sounds like it was super hot, more than gas. Like I said, yeah. fertilizer, which shows a specialized knowledge. You yeah. Know, I thought that farmer perhaps. Yeah, well, and, and, and raises horses. I'm thinking, but I don't know. Marilyn will talk more about that. Really? Yeah. yeah. And the first case, it looks like they're trying to cover up evidence, obviously, with the fire. The second right. case, there's they're no not. attempt to cover it up. No, so there is a, a key difference there. Well, while we're back on the second case, I, I think this is important too. Can you imagine hiring someone to kill your wife, or or even doing it yourself and saying, mm -hmm. "Don't bring a weapon, though." Her, yeah, her exactly. gun is under the seat. Under so the seat, you have you to do some jujitsu stuff and you get that gun and you kill her. And what does, and then it points away from you. It still doesn't point away because we're, it, we're discussing well, this as a suspect. It now. points right back to the spouse. I don't think so. If, yeah. May, yeah, it does. That, that's a good point. Right. If the spouse himself did it, but if you hired yeah. someone to do it, you wouldn't be like, okay, don't I'd bring, say, bring your own gun. Don't use mine. <laughs> yeah. Just shot. She was going to have his own weapon. This guy could have his own weapon, threatened the victim, tied her up, gagged her. For what? What about this gagged victim made the this, the, the uh, first arriving officers think it was a suicide, right? But you gag her, tie her up, and then you take the gun and shoot her. I mean, you could. You're using a different gun to threaten her, but you don't actually shoot her with it. There could be some some good DNA there at that scene if they got into a tussle over the gun and maybe she grabbed his hair. Cloyd's on the right track. Cloyd's on the right track. Yeah, that's where it's family. <laughs> Patricia wants to know: in the burnt car, was she shot through the window or was the door open? We don't have a cause of death. Remember, in the first yeah. case where the car was burned, so we do not know if she was shot or how she died. Um, the gunshot was Mary McGinnis Morris, the second victim, and that's confirmed. And we don't even really know where she died because she was in the passenger seat. So right. she could have driven anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And she was in the opposite direction of her work. Yeah. So she probably was driven somewhere back. Right. My guess would be she was intercepted at the gas station. 
because that's the first place you would stop. But right, unfortunately, we don't have video of that. Oh yeah. my God. And again, right. Marilyn can fill us in maybe when she comes on the location of these areas where these cars are found. Is this someplace where the person can easily walk back to civilization or is this far enough away that it's it's out yeah, in the middle yeah, of nowhere. They've got to get out of there somehow with with a ride or something, and then that yeah. could be another person. Maybe involved. you could take a horse. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he didn't buy the horse. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. That's true. Good point. Because okay. he had one already. I'm, I'm really. That's right, Bubba. Bubba. <laughs> Sounds like a great horse. See a horse. Went to look at a horse in that same area. Was there just a minute left? Because he's established. Um, yeah. And it happened to be on the same mm -hmm. road. That she was found on. Yeah. That's things that I have, and I'm sorry. That's what I was going to say. Is he just in case anybody saw his vehicle and said, "Oh, yeah, yeah he was out there." Um, yeah. So I don't know. So why don't we bring Marilyn on so she can answer some of our questions and tell us more about the case? Sounds good. Hi, Marilyn. Hello. Hey, Marilyn. Well, we're glad to have you here because this is a case that gets a lot of attention. There's a lot of false stuff out there, and it's good to have you on an inside source that can correct some things. Um, so I hope you'll be able to do that and help us walk through some of these clues. And our condolences uh, to you and your family. Yeah. Of yeah. course, this is a horrible thing. It's it, it becomes a bit of an intellectual exercise for us, but we don't want to move past that. We understand um, that this has probably really affected you. Well, we know it's affected you, so we'll leave them with that. So I so, guess what what would you say about this case to start off is maybe inaccurate or, or some of the biggest misconceptions about this case so we can sort of clear the air with, with that? Um, I mean, I definitely don't think that there is – I don't think there's a hitman that got the wrong person. 100%. I do not think that that happened. Um, now, obviously, I've, ta I've thought about this for a really long time, and if anything – Obviously, Mary McGinnis Morris was already having issues. And if anything, they took advantage of the fact that my my mom had been murdered and it actually was on the news the next day. Um, and they took advantage of the fact and then killed the second Mary, because obviously I think that was already in place. Right. We know she was already having problems. Um, I mean, I think that's the only coincidence in my mind that comes to place but the hit gone wrong and the crazy stuff i've seen about you know like robocop storyline type things no right so i have a question do you know anything about um your mom's activities before the day before at like say after she got home from work no and i don't I mean, I don't know that the police ever really asked those questions. I know the night that they took us to the police station, they separated us and made it really clear to me from the start that they suspected my stepdad. But yet I don't feel like they really went down that road to really investigate him like they could have. Do you know about anything else that they did um, in terms of investigating? You mentioned that you they did not search the home. No, I was there. So I had spoke to Detective Tonry. Um, I don't know, probably 
before the funeral and he had come to my mom's house. This was the same day that Jay had said that he drove down that road. Um, and I had talked to um, Detective Tonry and I'd asked him, like, I'd ask him where my mom's gun was because I knew that my mom owned a gun. I mean, she was from Texas. Um, mm-hmm. And ask if they had, like, checked her gun to see if it had been fired or anything like that. And they hadn't even done that at that point. And so I'd ask, well, have you all looked in her, her house? Because I find it, I found it really hard to believe knowing my mom that someone would have ever gotten her into the passenger seat of her car. Um, and so for me, I thought she was killed before. Like she, I just never imagined her driving off to work that morning um, because I, I don't, she wouldn't have been an easy person to get a hold of. So when I had talked to Detective Tonner and asked him, number one, where was my mom's gun and had it been fired? And they hadn't even asked those questions. And I'd asked, did y'all look at the house? Was there blood in the house? Did y'all, and they hadn't done anything. And so me, Detective Tonnery, and Jay walked into my mom's bedroom. And of course, everything was immaculate at that point. You know, the, the bed was perfectly made. The house was clean. I mean, my mom was a very clean person anyway. But to think that at that point, they hadn't even looked at the house was amazing to me. I have a couple questions about the, the car situation. Um, do you know, for, my first question is, do you know if they checked the seat position to see if the, if it looked like someone taller had driven the car um, or was it in the normal position where your mom would have driven it? And then the other question is relation to the area where the car was found and how far, you know, let's just say Jay hypothetically was there. How would he get out of there? How far is it to get back out to civilization to get home from there? So, I don't know that they check like the position of the seat, but my mom and Jay were pretty much the same height. There, there wasn't really a big height difference there. My mom was pretty tall. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was three miles from her house. So if Jay saying she left at 6 a.m., um, I mean, he would have had plenty of time to walk three miles. He was, I mean, he was a healthy guy. He wasn't some frail old man that couldn't walk three miles. And where does that 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 walking line up with where he was at that looking at that horse? How, how did he get to there? Do you know that was he? Did he drive there or was he on foot? He drove there. I mean, because it it was a it was a ways. But I mean, the one thing about that that really and Alex mentioned it earlier, but I don't think anyone really caught on. The thing that gets me the most about Jay going the way that he did. Number one, why would you do that? They lived right on I-10, which is a major freeway in Houston. If you're going to go somewhere, you get on the freeway. I mean, we're city people. That's what you do. Um, It it didn't make any sense for him to go that way anyway. But the fact that he never, ever mentions seeing the fire or the smoke when he drove down this two-lane road, right? And I don't know if you've ever seen a, a car burn, right? It's not like you can miss it, right? It's black, billowy smoke. And he would have been driving down that road at the exact same time that that 911 call came in. That was something I was wondering about because it hadn't listed a time when he went to see the horse. So that was a- around the same time or at the same time. It was like around noon. Oh, okay. So it would have yeah. been 
after and burning. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can't believe and, the fire department didn't send somebody on to check out that. There. Yeah. Know. Well, I think that the my understanding was the reason why no one went out and checked is because when the nine one one call came in, it came into the city. Not the county. Not the county. And it was on county property. So yeah, the city would sense. not respond. Right. You told me a little bit about what you've discovered with regard to Jay and the horse seller, his very short period of time being there. Can you tell us a little bit more about that interaction and what you found out? Well, I mean, I mean, several things since, but it was my, I mean, you know, Jay was a, a talker. I mean, you go to look at a horse, right? Most of the time you're going to kind of um, hang out, make small talk. Um, and he, he was a horse guy. So, you know, I would find it hard to believe that he would go somewhere and then be there just a few minutes and leave. Um, and from what the detective said, he was there for a really short period of time. Um, and then like, as I could never wrap my head around, even at the time, how he ever found this horse in Silsby, which is, so, it's like a small town. It's not like, you know, back then everything wasn't published on the internet. When we looked at horses, we would go to a, a local horse auction. Um, you know, it, it it would be hard for me to wrap my head around how he even found the horse, number one. Um, but then when I really started like doing research and stuff, I found out that his, his ex-wife actually had an address there in the same town where the horse was. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you found out about the ex-wife and um, those addresses? Or her address? So, strangely enough, I found out that she also, like, my mom's address was 201 Oakland. Um, and sh her address was 189 Oakland. And who else did you find lived at that address with her later? Um, not with her. No. Not no with her? her. I, I mean... No. Mm -mm. Didn't you mention to me that you found a connection between the ex-wife and Dwayne Young? My misunderstanding. But okay. my daughter's dad's ex-wife. So my baby dad. Okay. okay. His ex-wife and Dwayne Young. Craziest thing ever, but yeah. And to be that big to have a connection at all. It seems yeah. oh, That seems interesting. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Something we haven't talked about that... I think we should is the uh, six months later that um, the calling card being used with the $2,000 charges by the 16 year old girl. And that was, um, she was found in Galveston, which is 50 miles away from um, Southeast. So then the, 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 she says, well, I got it in a purse. We found this person in the trash and then they get the purse from this other person. And it was, it was not a purse that your mother ever owned? And, well, and, and who made that determination? Jay, Jay did. Oh. So number one, according to the 16 the year old, the purse wasn't in the trash. It was like sitting on the, like just sitting on like the sidewalk in front of a store, which mm, find me. someone wanted someone to find mm-hmm. it, which doesn't make it, why not throw it in a dumpster or, I mean, because it's it a diversion. was a <laughs> place there, right? It wasn't, um, yeah, it, it didn't make any sense to me. And it also, I hate to backtrack, but her not having her cell phone doesn't make any sense to me either. Because back then, number one, my mom was not, she was a cheap person. You know, you charge by the minute. She only got that phone in case of an emergency. So she always carried it in her car. That's why most people had phones back then. Um, mm-hmm. So for her not to have her cell phone didn't make a lot of sense. But Almost everything that the police got, they only got from Jay. So, you know, like that not being her purse, I never saw the purse. Mm. Oh, I was going to ask you. Jay, that was one of my questions. Yeah. Okay. Correct. According to Jay, it was not her purse. Um, and the police said that it, it, they're thinking it was like a brand new purse that someone went in. It was a Jacqueline Smith purse that they used to sell at Kmart um, mm-hmm. that someone went in and bought the purse, put her wallet um, and her lipstick in the purse and her checkbook in the purse. I'm, I'm curious if your mom ever confided, you know, sometimes moms, daughters have talks, heart to hearts. Did she ever confide in you anything about problems in a relationship with Jay, any infidelity, any relationships he might be, any concerns she had, anything like that? No, no. And I mean, I, you know, my, my, my son stayed with my mom, you know, more often. And I just remember when, you know, he would say they may argue or fuss, but like never any big blowups or um, anything like that. No. What was Joe's normal demeanor? You know, if you're saying, if if the, saying, oh, he was really calm when he heard about that. Is that his normal demeanor? Is that how he would normally take, bad news or surprising, you know, anything like that. I mean, I've never seen him in an emotional situation like that. Um, I I don't know. I guess for me, it was just really hard to wrap my head around his response. Yeah. I know people respond differently, but um, 
for me, and it, it wasn't just his reaction in the moment that they had told them, you know, told us that they found my mom's car. It was everything that he did, right? Getting rid of my mom's stuff. I was her only daughter. Why would you not let me go through her things? It was just everything that he did after that, like mm-hmm. getting married so quickly and finding this wife. And like Cloyd said, how did he meet this woman and get her here so quickly? I mean, I watched 90 Day Fiance, right? That's not an easy process. And it certainly couldn't have been that much easier 20 years ago, right? Like, but yet she's here and you're married within the year. Mm-hmm. How? Was Jay married previously to your mom or was that his first marriage? No, that was his second marriage. So he was married to the lady that was living up the street. Oh, okay. Um, yes. Okay. Yeah. And um, they had two daughters together. And that, as far as I knew, was his only other marriage. My mom was his second. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of wondering how that ended or... Um, was it contentious? Did he lose a lot of money in that divorce? Was that something that, you know, he didn't want to go through again? And I'm not saying he's the only suspect. I'm not, you know, but obviously, like everyone says, you, you look at the person closest initially. And um, so I'm just kind of curious. I wonder yeah. if the police investigated that at all. So it was my understanding that, you know, he kind of lost everything because when he met my mom, he was living in like a rent house. Um, and he had a good job. He worked at a chemical plant. Oh gosh. Interesting. Mm -hmm. He worked at a plastics chemical plant at that. Mm. Yeah. Because when you're saying that the bones were so badly burned I mean, what, what that is, that's like crematorium, right? I mean, that is extremely high heat for something like that to happen. And normally in fires, you can still see skeletal remains. I mean, they might be charred, you know, there's damage, but there's still bones. They're still mostly intact. So there's definitely something else that's been, you know, used if, if that's what the case is for for sure. It was my understanding that there was definitely something else because according to um, the police, her teeth were burned and they said the fire had to be hotter than 1500 degrees and gasoline would not burn that hot. I mean, I have a piece of her engine that was melted on the ground of like after they towed the car and I went out there, there was a piece of engine on the ground, like the metal in the car melted. Well, I think if she was shot, they'd have a hard time finding a bullet in there with that kind of melting going on. Maybe, but they should have a hole in the skull. I mean, yeah, it's usually not hard to find that evidence, but I, I, no, I don't know. Patricia Burns, they use accelerants at this chemical plant. That's a good question. I'd like to know that, you know, what do they have? Well, chemicals don't necessarily have to be considered just for use as an accelerant, but no, no. quality. Absolutely. So yeah, I would be looking right. at are, were any chemicals missing from that plant? Uh, right. What kind yeah. of uh, what kind of control they have? have? Inventory. So yeah. you know that's uh, definitely something what? that should be pursued. 
Something interesting that I remember from when Morph covered this on criminology and the murder of my family, that Union Carbide Morph was a chemical and polymer company. Mm. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. From memory. Now that was the Dow second Chemical, victim. owned by Dow Chemical. That was the second right. victim, correct? Yeah. Yeah. But it's Texas. That's yeah. true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have the energy uh, capital of the world. Yeah, I have a question, Marilyn. I know you've had a little bit of contact with the other Mary's daughter. Um, obviously, she's not here to relay anything. Can you sort of, uh, you know, maybe touch on what her feelings are about this case? Well, I think that, and I mean, I can't speak directly for her. Um, I mean, I, I know she was with her dad that day. Um, I know that Dwayne Young has put a lot of suspicion on himself, right? There hasn't been a lot of, um, I, I don't think out of the blue, they started pointing fingers at anyone. I think that, um, you know, he just interjected himself in a way that you could not help, but suspect him. And then like, I have obviously taken an interest, like, you know, y'all showed the phone bill. Like I, I've looked at things. I've heard lots of things. I've looked at that case because I too wanted to know was their possibility of a connection. And it kills me how the police got hung up on that four minute phone call. You know, if you look at the phone bill, all those incoming calls that say two minutes, two minutes, two minutes, they have an I beside them. They're all mm -hmm. incomplete. Right. So the mm -hmm. fact that the police said that four minute phone call was complete to me, I honestly think it was a back to back call in the same minute because it mm -hmm. does show to be an incompleted call. And it's yeah, all so two that minutes. should show is two separate calls though. That's the thing. Yeah. You know, four minutes is a long time. You're not going to let it ring and ring and ring because voicemail is going to pick up in four minutes. Well, if voicemail picks up, does that mean the call is complete? Yeah. No, I don't think so. But Katie is on there. She says she's watching. That was she, Yeah. You know, hey, Katie. Like, Thanks hey, for coming. Hey, Katie. Whatever you think, Katie, put it on your text and, and let us know. But I think, uh, yeah, I don't think uh, – I've done a lot with phone bills. It, when you have a, a call that says complete, means somebody answered. It doesn't mean it went to voicemail because you mm -hmm. can tell the difference. And it wouldn't ring four minutes before it went to voicemail anyway. It would ring mm -hmm. like a minute, you know. That's how true. many times? That's true. Eight, eight times, ten times? And then voicemail picks it. Well, that, so being, the, that being the hold on, hold on. Well, that's really important because that being the case, Cloyd, which um, Mike Morris then would have lied about. Basically, yeah. is the clue to your yeah. mystery. <laughs> I don't know why, but because if, if it went, if, if someone picked up, he called someone, that person picked up, and it was four minutes long, and then he later lied about it. That's that's a done deal. There you go. Where that's was the phone? Was the phone recovered? I didn't. I I I don't know that. Was the phone <laughs> ever recovered? Or was I it? don't know. Yeah. But I know the phone bill says that four-minute phone call was an incomplete call. It has an I beside it. That call was not completed. Yeah, for the police, saying it was a completed phone call. It was not a completed phone call. That is weird, though. I, I mean, I want to believe it was incompleted. I want to believe that he, he tried calling, but for four minutes, it's, it's like we've got two facts that don't that don't reconcile here. 
Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of phone calls, I'd like to hear Cloyd's take on this. The, the one call Mike claimed he got on his on his cell phone from somebody asking f- for Mary was this I'm sorry, was this um which Mary was it that got a phone that call later on claimed Okay. That was mine. And um, and then okay. the, the police couldn't they found the apartment but uh they they didn't identify the caller. If, if you found an apartment where that phone call came from I'm sure you would have no, absolutely who made this call and got to the bottom number. of it. I don't understand you that. That's... You do a warrant and get subscriber yeah. information. Yeah. Who but was in your apartment and made this call? If it's, a, if it's a landline, comes to an apartment, who was living there on that date? You know, it was, it was a payphone. Oh, it was a payphone. That's totally different. No, that is That makes a big difference. Yeah. Yep. Right. And the cho- and the choice to use a payphone in itself is is a little suspect. Yeah, why do people do that? Because they don't want to be traced, right? Mm-hmm. But who who's to say it wasn't Jay? It could have been. Jay. We're not saying it wasn't. It could have been Jay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It may it never have even happened. happened. Yeah, you can't eliminate anybody from a payphone. It could could have been anybody. Right. Hmm. Well, I, I think it's it's interesting that uh, Katie is here. Yeah, um, she said the so I, I don't know what, what insight she could provide, but it would you know if she wants to chime in on any with anything, Ab- comments on absolutely. anything. Absolutely. Jump on. Yeah, as Chloe just said, she I'm sure y'all saw that comment, but she did um indicate that the self I'm think she's talking about her mom's cell phone was not recovered. Oh, she said not sure. Not sure. <laughs> okay. Not sure. Okay. So we don't know that then. Okay. All right. Thanks, Katie. I did want to talk about something, this uh, call that was made to the local news and uh, someone saying apparently they got the wrong Mary Morris. And this happened before the the death of the second Mary Morris. Did I have that correct? As far as we know? Yeah, Hmm. as far as we know. Okay. So um, one way that might have gone, and I think this is potentially in accord with your own hypothesis, Marilyn, is that... uh, Somebody who's meaning to kill the second Mary Morris for quite some time sees the death of the first Mary Morris and says, aha, I can stage this now. So they plant that call to make it look like a hit when it isn't. Um, They've always been meaning to kill this other Mary Morris, and then they use that as an opportunity to do it. It's a little convoluted, but it's possible. (laughs) No, we're moving past that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It it, it is, Lee, I agree, but... It seems like a stretch to me. I'm just... It's risky. <laughs> what a coincidence. And when he killed this Mary Morris and another one gets killed, you know? It right. seems like a stretch. Well, I mean, what I, sorry, I just want to be clear. You hear, you're, you're been thinking for quite some time about killing um, Mary McGinnis Morris. Then you hear that this other Mary Morris is killed in the paper and you say, okay, here's my opportunity. You plant it and then you do the other one. I, 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 I'm not believing it as I'm saying it, but it, you know what I mean? It's a possibility. How widely reported was the first Mary Morris murder? Was it like on the? Because I mean, there's a lot of murders in Harris County, Texas, right? It's a big, big county. Three hundred that year. Yeah. So I mean, are they really reporting that many? Or you know, the first thing is a woman murdered in whatever. It would be four, five, six days before they reported the name of that person because she hasn't been identified yet. It takes mm-hmm. two or three days to get her identified. So. Well, that being the case, that being the case, Cloyd, then we have to put some doubt on this. They got the wrong Mary Morris. Yeah, if, that, if that actually factually happened, 100% happened, then that is an insider because nobody knows about the first Mary well, Morris. 
That's true. Um, Maryland, didn't you say that it was reported your mom's case, her name was reported the next day? Yeah, the next day. How could they report okay. it the next day, though? If she was burned and they have to do DNA, you get the her to car? Get the, uh, yeah. Did they say the, they suspected the it was her? Oh, did they maybe suspect it? Okay. Yeah. It wasn't had, confirmed. Was missing, yeah. It was her car. Okay. Um, and so they they suspected. And then and so, before my mom was killed, yeah. Exactly. As opposed to other random murders, something else that would have struck this newsworthy is the burning of the car. That's pretty yeah. extreme. It is, it, as far as body found in burning car, but, you know, is it really well, that newsworthy? I mean, not necessarily. I don't think so. Yeah, but to, to, to Lee's point, and I'm not, again, I'm not sure I necessarily believe or think that this is the case, but what if you were a sort of mentally unstable person? And you hear Mary Morris's name, who's a person that you hate for unknown reasons, and you take that as, oh, this is my sign. Like you're married to her, you mean? <laughs> no, or, like you have a great no. Like work. you work with her and she you work with her, yeah. Right. I, I gotta yeah. tell you, I don't like I don't like the whole I'm gonna kill you because I work with don't get the wrong thing. That's well, a big hold on. let's talk about the logistics of that. I mean, yeah. let's let's say once again, how does that happen? So this guy that works with her, what like follows her from? He waits outside her home, no one notices, follows her until she pulls into a gas station, and reliably knows that she's going to do that. I think we're talking about the wrong Mary Morris. This there. is the yeah, the second yeah, one. This is the second shopping. She was yeah, out sorry. shopping on a Sunday. Right, right, right. right. Sorry, this is the second one. So what? You follow her around that day? Yeah. I'm not. I'm, I'm not being facetious. I want to really figure out how this logistically work. So she's out shopping and he's following her and, and waiting to intercept her the whole day. She was at her job, their mutual job first. Went okay. back to turn off her computer Correct. too. She right. was at so the she, clinic. Okay. So could have followed her from the job and then, ah, okay. Yeah. That makes Where sense. Where he also worked. Was yeah. he working that oh, day? He had been fired. I, I don't, Not I don't at, he hadn't that. actually been fired at that point. So after that. Hmm. <laughs> I, I don't like that. But I mean, that's just me. I just, I just don't like that. Because <laughs> mm. I don't like him as a suspect. It's one thing to not like someone you work with and to be argumentative, but to murder them, that's a huge jump. It's a huge jump. And it she doesn't like been fired at that point. So he had nothing to be begrudging against. He just didn't like her, right? That's a huge And, and it doesn't explain yeah. that, that four-minute phone call anomaly. And it, I think it would be difficult for him to intercept her. Right. It would be difficult because he would have no idea where she's going or what she's doing. And she would recognize him in the drugstore and said, hey, that weirdo, so, uh, I forgot his name, is here at the drugstore and he's creeping me out. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't like that. And if he's watching, Dwayne, I don't think he did it. <laughs> um, I, You know, is there a possibility that this is just a carjacking or something? Is there any randomness to this to where... Yeah. She's a carjacking victim. They drive her off, and something goes wrong. And the person kills Maybe, her. But they usually shoot him right there and take the car. I mean, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why'd you use her gun, Morph? Right? Yeah, why would you use her gun? Exactly. You're going to carjacking. Yeah. You jack a car by having you a have your own gun. Yeah. yeah, unless she pulls the gun and you take it off her. I mean, it's possible. Yeah, but even then, they would. But then you tie her up first. Yeah, yeah, they would shot her with her with their gun, probably. Yeah, you know, rather would. than grab hers away from it and shoot her. So that's the kind yeah. of weird thing in this scenario and then you have the the another thing again is those cars one is burned one is not if you're the same person committing both of these crimes why are you going to cover your tracks by burning one but not the gunshot other? 
or not, burn car or not. Yeah, they're they're so different. Yeah. The only really things they have in common is name and car. Those are the only two things they have in common. I want to address this down here. Um, you don't know this yeah. guy. He's scary. I have. I, I don't doubt that. And we're not saying that he doesn't have the capacity to do it. No. Now, there's a lot of scary people in the world. And, you know, there, unfortunately, there's a lot more in the lives of most of us than we'd like to think. But it's, it just comes down to, to probability, right? We're not ruling him out. No. We're saying in, in terms of probability, where does he stack up versus like a He's husband scenario? And, I, like, um, I like the husband a lot better. That's just me. Yeah. So so you focus on husband and, and then he comes number two. I think that's what we're right. saying, right? Yeah. yeah, of known of known people. Yes, of known. He still yeah. is. He still is a person of interest, though. No. Correct in the police eyes. Yeah, of the police. You gotta, yeah, you can't. Well, but, in our know, eyes too, I think you know it's. Uh, yeah. But um, it just comes down to the things I laid out a second ago. It doesn't explain the phone call anomaly. It um, it would be more difficult for him to intercept and pull that off than for her husband to do it. Well, and, I think that with two kind of good suspects. I think that DNA, you know, I'm kind of curious whether um, there's been any DNA done Uh, and when was it done? Um, They're talking, they're talking about clothing being torn, which I don't think we mentioned, or, you know, you mentioned in the, the intro, but we didn't really talk about, well, okay, then let's unpack those sections of clothing. How's that tear? Um, Let's look at the gun. Let's look, you know, I mean, there's, Plenty of evidence. I would. The gun think. is huge. The grip, the 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 trigger. They should all have DNA on it, right? right. Yeah. So yeah. I'm curious as to what was done. Um, I guess it wasn't done. I don't know. Yeah. Or if it was done 20 years ago. Yeah. Exactly. A century ago. Right. Um, it was my right. understanding that there was some evidence in the the second Mary's car. There was. Evidence, well, okay. but at the time, stuff. Yeah. there was no match. At the time, but as as Susanna and I will tell you, and everybody else, five years ago is a hundred years ago. You need to do it all over again, yeah. right? Now, yeah. Marilyn, when you say there was no match, does in your mind does that mean there was not enough to do a comparison, or there was DNA and they compared it to, let's say, Dwayne or any other persons of interest and excluded them? I I want to say I, I'm pretty sure there was enough evidence. Okay. Um I I want to say that they did not find a match. I don't know if they excluded anyone. Mm-hmm. But I as I recall, What year was this? 2002? 2000. 2000. There wasn't they they didn't they, they, they didn't have touch DNA like they do today. They really weren't doing no. 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 The, the, Maryland, it's a whole different Susanna will tell you it's a whole different ballgame. We need to do it all yeah. over. Yeah. 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 And Marilyn, they, didn't you know. tell me that they ran it through CODIS? I, it, that was my the most basic and didn't like, find a match. Because we talked to one of the cold case detectives like less than a year ago. And it was my understanding that there's still like still no match. Well, the reason there couldn't be a match would because the person whose DNA you would expect to be on the gun was the one that was found on the gun. That would be your husband. Yeah. Now the question is then, well, why isn't there someone else's DNA on the gun? He could have wiped it clean, but if he wiped it clean. You just move the DNA around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, you know, the thing is, if the husband's the only one on there, that's evidence in itself. There isn't an, an unknown so. sample. Yeah, there's an unknown person mm-hmm. on there. It's yeah. evidence of absence, right? The absence of anyone yeah. else. But not abs- I, evidence of absence, yeah. 
I have a question for Katie. If you're still listening, do you know if this person that your mom was supposedly in love with has been talked to by police, if they were cooperative and if they were able to add anything that may have helped? That's something I'm interested in finding out. It'll take a second for her to get her answer up. Yeah. It, it sounds like if they have cold case detectives working on, on her case, though, it does sound like they could have went back and, you know, looked at the evidence again and, and perhaps done some additional testing. I'm in, I am curious, of course, as to what that item is that they were able to get a profile that probably isn't, you know, isn't matching her, isn't matching her husband that they're able to put into CODA. So I'm kind of curious. If there's well, an unveil, that would be very interesting. If yeah. no one's gun, if no one's DNA was on the gun, well, why the hell is that? Is her DNA on the gun? Right? It's odd. Someone yeah. touched that gun. But the, here's the problem with that: her husband bought it for her. He probably showed yeah. her how to use it. He probably handled it. He's she handled probably it. handled it. But that doesn't mean like she could have handled it and not left her DNA or not a detectable amount. Men usually leave more DNA than females. <laughs> Um, so even if it was just his DNA on there, it doesn't mean, oh, he absolutely, you know, used this at the time of the, of the murder. Um, whoever did this could no, have been. Right no, it doesn't. But, but why did the, uh, the other person then, if it was someone else, why didn't they leave DNA on? And yeah. if they somehow wiped it down, why didn't they wipe down the other DNA? With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And Katie did answer my questions. He said he did talk to the police and give a statement and they would not share that statement with me. Um, I'm also curious why they didn't release the, the 911 call unless there's, you know, obviously if it's violent or she's screaming or something like that, that would be shocking. They wouldn't put that out there. But I wonder if there was a male voice that they could maybe isolate someone talking to her, maybe releasing that might, it might sound familiar to someone. Um, I'd be curious to see if there's inter any interaction. Uh, I don't know if Katie's ever listened to that call. H have you listened to that, Marilyn? Has it been something you've been able to listen to? No, I have not, but Katie listened to it. Um, I don't think there was a male voice on there. I can't, I didn't hear it. Um, I hear it's a disturbing phone call. It was fine. Yeah. Okay. I, I, and I can imagine that it, it could be, I was, thinking more along the lines of is there someone talking to her that whose voice could be recognized but maybe there just wasn't i don't probably. believe there was yeah probably not. Hmm. well this is definitely interesting and uh, you know katie's not on here on screen with us but he, she's answering some questions so yeah. i really like having both marilyn you here and katie answering questions here because you know, this is a big case people talk about, and there's a lot of misconceptions out there and inaccuracies. So having both of you answer this stuff is very, very helpful. And this is, says, I mean, our information is that Mike purchased the gun for her, 
immediately. That's what all the reporting says. But Kate, she thinks it was a gun that she purchased for him years early Christmas. Mm. That's a new bit of information. Right. Yeah. The one thing I, I just I couldn't. I can't see any scenario in which Mike knowingly himself uses his gun to murder his wife or instructs a hitman to use his gun to that's the one thing that makes me say it, unless she pulled it out and the person wrestled it away from her and shot her with it I can't see any situation in which Mike would knowingly be involved in this crime and volunteer his gun be the one that's used that just no, he wouldn't do that. Yeah, but the whole she pulled the gun and he got her away from her could happen. Yes, but I don't like it. The whole information spin here is like a bit potentially a bit of evidence itself. So if in case, if in fact this is the truth that she purchased the gun gun for him years earlier for Christmas, and then that has been reworked in when a murder occurs to be no, it was her gun that I got from her to protect herself. How does that happen? And why does that happen? Yeah. Unless she got him the gun and then she's scared and he says, look, you got me that gun. So now you take it to protect yourself. That's possible. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Should we go to some comments and then we got to save some stuff for the scrum, right? Yeah. Let's take three comments. Do you want to do that? Sure. Okay. Rebecca Casella, do we know as a fact that the second victim really asked for the gun or is that based on husband's testimony? I think it was husband's testimony again. Is that right? Everything, Sarah? everything based on the husband's testimony. That's a problem I see in murder cases all the time. Everybody takes the a person of interest's testimony as the gospel, and it's not necessarily right. It's self self uh, provided information that could help them. Yeah. Why that timeline? Corpses were already in the basement. So I want to say something, and I I had to ask Katie if this was okay before I said this. So it's, from what I've heard, the 911 call, when she was on the call, the person following her was unlocking her car doors. So like they had the remote unlocking her car doors. Did they have a spare remote? Yes. So yeah. whoever was following wow. her, you know, because in cars, you know, when you take off, the doors automatically lock. So they were unlocking it. So my thing is, with that being said, whoever had that remote, how do we know they didn't take the gun out of the car? Right. Maybe well, my question would be, why didn't she just drive away when that happened? She's in the car. The engine is presumably running. Because she away. went down a dead end street. Why would she go down the dead end street? I think it was a it was a mistake. So I I went down that street at the time. Like I went there. So when you turn down the street, it wasn't a completed road. There was a um a a barricade that bar- like the road was not complete. You turn down the road. There was a a concrete barricade there where the road was not completed. And I don't think that she knew that that road dead end. I thought she thought she was trying to get away. Oh, at the time I was going, why would she go down it? She's from that area. Why wouldn't she go? But she wasn't from that area. She just worked out there. All right. Yeah. yeah. I'm I'm curious. You mentioned a little bit about the the locks. Those cars. It was an intrepid, right? They had speed sensitive locks. I know a little bit about those cars. And when you take off and they hit 10 miles an hour or something, the locks automatically would lock. Could the locking 
you hear that sounds like somebody using a remote to unlock the doors. Could it have been her driving off, trying to take off, and the locks hitting, and she was in motion? It was uh, because the sound does sound like someone's using a remote when they lock, and you're in you're in the car. But I think she said they're un- they're unlocking the doors. Oh, she said that on the call. Oh, she actually. Oh, she that said the words. Oh, wow. So that's why you. It was like click, 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 click. Like they're hitting oh. a remote. Oh, unlocked, she's like trying she's to lock driving. it. Okay, oh. so. so so no, but as like she's, she's driving, it's automatically locked. Ah. So the person, that the person had a remote, Jeez. that's very probative. Huge. Very information. Huge. Huge. It has to be either the husband or someone hired by the husband because he has the other remote, right? Or I mean, the well, well, then let's it's move it to the next car. point. Um, why would you hire someone to kill your wife and then, say, use her gun? He's likely to use his own the minute he accosts her. Therefore, the likeliest person is the husband. Right. Yeah, because you're stupid. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, the thing is, did 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 he have the gun? Did he give the gun? Was the gun under her seat? Maybe not. You know, people are stupid. They do stupid stuff all the time. And so it's, it could be that he gave that gun, and that was his story. It was under the seat, but was it really? You know, is a is storing a gun under the driver's seat of a car a good idea? No, because if your car gets broken to it, it could be stolen easily. So you know, if she Katie says not, not easy to get to. Yeah, Katie says the second time her mom asked to have a gun for protection. Do you know, Katie, what the, whether there was a reason, a specific reason for it the first time? Yeah, good question. And while we wait for her to to ask to follow that up. Oh, I I was just going to mention, I don't know if you all heard Marilyn comment. This this is a company car? Correct. Yeah, owned by the the business, yeah. So I don't know that she had the spare set at home. So, yeah, so who had the spare set? Would you mm-hmm. have I don't know. That'd be something you, if you're the detective, you want to ask that question, right? Mm-hmm. right. Where are the first set of keys? Is it something kept at work or is it something she you gave her two sets? So that could, point, could point back to work. Yeah. Well, yeah, and Katie's saying that likely more person had access. This was a company car. Her hmm. employees had access to her keys and the car work purposes. Hmm. This is a long shot, but Katie, do you remember actually going to the movie? Your dad said that. Oh, yeah. He, what was that? He went to a movie? Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. apparently that the police weren't able to question you. So I would just ask you while you're here, because we are focusing on your dad a bit. Obviously, prefer if your dad didn't do it. It's not pleasant. Um, so do you remember going to that movie? I don't think. Yeah. And, and the intern is also answering your prior question. So the reason that she asked for protection the first time was that she was a nurse practitioner, had someone coming to her clinic harassing her for narcotics in the first case. So that's why mm. they she asked for a gun for protection in the first right. case. Right. And you know, the thing about that, if, huh? I mean, if you're in a marriage that's so bad, right, I think if you would think that if your husband's close to the point where he's going to murder you, I don't think I'd be asking him for a gun because I think you'd have some sense that your marriage is that bad. But maybe she you know, people think that he'd be capable of killing her. Maybe yeah. just... thinking you might get split and thinking he might kill you are two huge yeah. different things. Oh. Yeah. yeah okay. she remember... Katie does remember yeah. going to see her 
cut, they used to go to the movies two times a week. Yeah. Well, that's significant too, then, because that means if if I remember the facts correctly, then he's got an alibi. If 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 it happens to be at the same time, but he could have set that up to make sure he had an alibi. You know, those. No, you can't. This, just, yeah. I mean, again, I'm not saying he did it, yeah. but I, that doesn't mean he didn't do it or didn't have it done. We're at the point now where we've got to pull back a bit because because we're actually getting somewhere, but. Um, now we'd have to sit down. We'd have to see when that movie was playing, if it was possible. Yeah, you know, it's a little, little beyond mm-hmm. the scope of the show. Yeah. So we're going to do something a little different tonight so, Kate, so Katie can stay with us and continue with the conversation. Uh, we are going to keep this open to all members, everybody viewing, and we're just going to continue on that Marilyn and Katie can can both give more information and questions that they would have. Okay, so no scrum? No, public. But Rebecca yeah. says, could the remote have been spoofed? Yeah, but that's involved and, and yeah. you have to take it to some place and have it done. And yeah, Could I it be spoofed in 2000? These people don't play that that well. It's not yeah, historically not likely. A, a lot of things would have to happen for that yeah, remote, which randomly someone someplace, if they had a remote that was opening that door lock, either got a spare out of her purse, got a spare from work, got a spare from someplace. If, if that's the case, I think. but you'd think if, if, if she recognized the person from work would say, "So and so is trying yeah, to yeah. get my car." Yeah. yeah, you you made the nine one one call, or or you you're talking to your friend. You're not going to be like, "There's a, a vague, creepy man who I, I don't." Yeah, no, you know, you're going to be like, "You're going to identify." He's creeping me out because he's harassing me at work. He's creeping me out because like he knows the guy that harassed me at work. He was at his party. Right. You wouldn't be cryptic, mm-hmm. like just in case a murder happens, we've got to make yeah. this a mystery. So you know, uh, people sound the alarm. I think because they're scared and, and they want yeah. the proper information. You're not going to understate it. You're going to overstate it of anything. Yeah, absolutely. You're exactly right. That's true. Yeah. So why don't we bring Ashley on so she can do some Patreon shout outs. And then when we back, we will continue with comments, hopefully some voicemails and Marilyn and Katie. Voicemails. Get them in. We love them. We, we know you have questions about this case, so let's hear them. Don't be shy. Don't be a hero in the comments. Yeah. Lend your voice to the DDA. Okay. Hello, everybody. Um, We'd like to thank our newest member, Michael G. And I'd also like to say that uh, Valentine's Day is coming up. So if you have a love that's a true crime aficionado or you're one yourself, consider these basics for a gift that just keeps on giving. The Nancy Drew tier gives you ad-free episodes, bonus content, and the scrum. And tonight, the scrum will be included with the episode, so you will definitely be getting a preview. The scrum is in after hours with our hosts and guests where the conversation continues. The Columbo tier contains the perks of the first, plus a guarantee that at least one of your comments or voicemails will be heard on the show. The Poirot tier contains the perks of the first and second, plus access to a quarterly private session where members will join and interact with one or more hosts to desert to discuss cases not explored on the show. Think of it as a masterclass where you and the host dig even deeper into your pet case. 
The fourth and final is Sherlock Holmes, which contains all perks so far, plus a VIP pass to any special in-person event where you can meet and hang with the hosts of Citizen Detective. As we grow, there will be a lot more coming your way. Definitely watch this space. Head on over to www.patreon.com slash Citizen Detective. Citizen Detective streams every two weeks on YouTube at Citizen Depod, on Twitter at Citizen Detective Podcast, on Facebook and twitch.tv slash Citizen Detective. I hope everyone has a lovely Valentine's Day. Now back to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, we want to tell you a little bit about CrimeCon, the biggest convention in the world of true crime where thousands of people come together to discuss their favorite cases, rub elbows with some of the major players in the field, and interact with some of their favorite podcasters. CrimeCon is a three-day event, and the next one is less than a year away. CrimeCon 2023 will be in Orlando, Florida, at the World Center Marriott, September 22nd to September 24th. Yeah, that's my neck of the woods. I will be hosting a huge after party. No, I'm just kidding. My wife probably won't <laughs> go for that, but um, <laughs> maybe, who knows? Um, but it is a really cool experience if you are going, um, you know, if you're on the fence, jump off the fence and just go because it's a really cool way to go meet people that you know from true crime you know paul holes nancy grace dr henry lee you know so really a cool experience uh just pull uh your resources get your ticket and get there because it will be a cool experience and all of very cool and amazing listeners can save 10 percent on your badges at crimecon 2020 with our promo code at checkout just go to crimecon.com and use the code all one word with no spaces. So book your trip now before spot out. They sell out really quickly. And we just know that you're going to have a great time and you may see some of us there. And can you repeat that one more time, that promo code, Alex? The promo code is at crimecon.com. Listen, detective, all one word, no spaces. Citizen awesome. Detective, all one word, no spaces. So we lost Susanna, and um, Marilyn also said that Katie may have logged off. Uh, I don't know if she's coming back, but um, like I said, it was it's been really enlightening having both Marilyn and Katie on here to sort of answer things that you know you know, aren't just hearsay. These are people directly involved in the cases. So thank you to both of, of you for yes. participating. Thank you. Um, you, you know, one thing I, I meant to ask Marilyn uh, was just sort of, we talked a little bit about uh, the relationship between um, your mom and Jay. What was there? Did they get, I mean, you mentioned that your kids would, would, say there was a little bit of an argument, but did they get along in general? Were there any inklings that there was any trouble between them? I mean, the only thing I could say is I, I mean, my mom wasn't a big arguer, right? She wasn't going to yell, scream and holler at you. So I never saw anything like that, but even in with her marriage with my dad, who was not a good person, right? I never saw that either, but she, I could tell at times there were things that Jay did not like, 
but my mom wasn't going to argue about it, you know? So, I mean, I, I know that everything was, I mean, but what marriages aren't perfect. So, I mean, I know that they did have some issues, but I, I don't know how deep those issues went. And one thing that jumps out to me that I, I remember you telling me a long time ago, something about when you went to look at that scene, I, I recall you saying that Jay took you in a way that you would think to get there and it stood out to you. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Okay. So when I, what initial, the thing that makes me primarily suspect Jay. So my dad is the one who told me that there was a burned car found in Baytown. When my dad told me there was a burned car found in Baytown, my dad told me that there was a car found on Crosby Lynchburg and I-10. So I chose to drive to, when we left to go to where this burned car was, and I had asked my stepdad to tell me how to get there. I'm one of those people, even now I go to the same places I use MapQuest, which wasn't a big thing back then, but when I asked my stepdad to tell me how to get there, a lot of it was because I was just kind of freaking out a little bit because I know where Crosby Lynchburg and I 10 is, but I, I wasn't thinking clearly in that moment. So I'm telling Jay, like, how do I go? Where do I turn? Which way do I go? And so Jay gave me directions, go this way, turn right, turn left. Well, I remember being at this four way stop very vividly. It was a stop. Like I said, this is a two lane road. We were at an intersection in that two lane road um, and to the left of the, that stop, there was what I know now to be a train trestle. So I had enough sense to know I was looking for I-10, which is a freeway. When I was looking that night to my left to that train trestle, I was thinking it was a freeway overpass. Right. Because you know, I just saw this elevated concrete thing and I'm thinking it's a freeway. So as we're sitting at that stop sign, I ask him, I guarantee you at least four times, do I need to turn left? Do I need to turn, turn here, this way? And he kept telling me, no, go straight. Why he told me to go straight, I don't know. But he did. And there was the police car right a little further up the road on the, like on the left-hand side of the street. But only later did I find out that the road he took me down was not even Crosby Lynchburg. It wasn't even the road that my dad said the car was on. So how did he get me there in the first place? So he, essentially he got you to the spot of your mom's car, but you were asking directions to someplace else, basically. Correct. Like, Absolutely. There we go. There we go. Because mm -hmm. yeah, where, correct. Because <laughs> where the, my dad told me the car was, I, the news crew gave them like a, a major intersection because it was my understanding that the person who originally went to the scene was a um, like a helicopter, a news uh, helicopter. And so the address or the location they gave was Crosby Lynchburg and I-10, which is really in that area, the only major intersection. And but he did not take me to Crosby Lynchburg. He did not. The road we were going down does not even go to I-10. That's pretty. It's pretty big. That's huge. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. 
if so not essentially if not taking you to that spot even though that's not where you're intending to go that's that's pretty correct and i was asking him i, I need to get you know my dad told me there's a burned car at crosby lynchburg and i-10 like get, get me there like i need to get there and he go this if way go right that way scene. yeah correct he shouldn't even have known. He should have been, it's right. got to be here somewhere, right? Go right. here, go there. You've been in the wrong spot. Yeah. And there's this too, right? If not Jay, and if not a hitman, then who? Then we're like in the territory of street thug carjack. Yeah. Street yeah. thug carjack does not take the car out and, and use advanced um, knowledge of, of chemical processes seemingly no. to incinerate yeah. it to the point. It's it's clearly yeah. premeditated, so yeah. it's someone who's really put a lot of thought into this. And so, if it's not yeah. the hitman, uh, there's only one person left here, and I don't think it's the hitman. Yeah, because even if even if uh, the local thug just wanted to burn any evidence, he'd pick up. Some <laughs> he wouldn't do that well. Pick up some he gasoline gas. or something like that. Exactly. A good case. The example is a case we covered here was the Colonial Parkway murder first case with um, the two victims there. You know, mm-hmm. um, they used kerosene that didn't, right, didn't burn well. Kerosene. No, no, yeah. no real. Because they don't know what they're doing, right? Yeah. And they didn't plan ahead apparently enough. Right. No, not really. But they didn't take anything. In reality, so we're saying that her ring was missing, but I got her other jewelry. She had on a diamond pendant. She had on another diamond ring. As far as they know, the police are saying potentially the ring could have been, you know, in the car somewhere. He he signed the car over to the, the junkyard or whatever so quick because it was my understanding. I don't even know that her car actually went to, um, like the and where they investigated or all that stuff, like it was towed to like a, a lot, and then they went to that lot to check the car, but didn't. I mean, how well did they sift through the car if it was like released super quickly? Yeah, so. and, and it couldn't have been easy to sift through that car for clues with the amount of melting and burning and stuff you said you saw melted engine parts. So I'm imagining it had to be a real rough car to examine. Yeah, but they literally would have sifted with sifts. They literally would have taken mm-hmm. debris. Should have. Should yeah, have. Should have. Yeah. They should yeah. have, right. But yeah. I don't think that they did. They should and, have. And if she was robbed, like, they wouldn't have just taken her wedding ring. Like, they would have. So what would, what would be the point, right? If you're going to rob somebody, you're going to steal all of their jewelry. Of course. Yeah. And then my thing is, how do we know she didn't actually take her wedding ring off at some point for whatever yeah. reason? Yeah. And, and the thing is, the whole robbery gone bad thing is way overused in murders. It yeah. almost never right. happens. Yeah. A robbery gone bad doesn't result in that intense uh, defensive no. modest operandi reaction. No. Because you're not you're, you're not thinking to yourself, well, I'm going to be a suspect. Because you don't know the person. You're a stranger. Yeah, so you don't go to advance. Yeah. When, uh, a good rule of thumb is whenever you see... Um, like a, a murder like this, where it it doesn't seem to have like a serial sex element to it, and there's something like dismemberment or advanced burning of the bodies, it's because someone goes, "Well, I'm going to come in onto the radar, so I've got to get rid of this yeah, body. Absolutely. I've got to yeah. I've got to cover yeah, my tracks." Right. Yeah. So it's someone who knows the victim. But a stranger wouldn't do that. They wouldn't. Yeah. Need 
in a robbery gone bad, wouldn't that go down like in a public spot where the encounter happens as opposed to way out in the middle of nowhere? You're trying to just get out of there because the minute you've put a certain amount of distance between you and the crime scene, you're not going to come on the radar anyway. Right, exactly. So this is interesting. I want to know what you guys think of this. Gold, was her gold? Yes. Okay. Gold has a melting point of 945 degrees. And you said that you've been informed to have been at least 1,500 degrees, if not hotter. Right. Is and there I, a cost that it have melted. melted? So I have her other jewelry. Mm-hmm. And it, it was melted, but, but it wasn't completely gone. It wasn't right. Yeah, exactly. Right. It might start melting. It's not going to be disappear, right? It's not and again... If they're stealing one piece of jewelry, they're stealing it all. Right. Right. So I I think that there was some, like Doc said, they they had to have, I think it was someone that knew her. And I also think that there's some type of, I I don't think that you take this much time and effort to, to do this much damage to somebody, unless there's some emotional tie to the situation. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent correct. Yeah. Yeah, A stranger is not going to do this. They don't need to. A stranger, right. a stranger goes. Once I've put a certain amount of distance between me and this, I can sleep at night because yeah, no one's exactly. going to suspect me. A yeah. person who's like, no matter how much distance I put between me and this, I can't sleep at night because, because they're yeah. always going to think it's me. That's the person that's like, well, then I'll do all of this to make that yeah. impossible. A thousand percent correct. Yep. Yeah. And and I just want to. So earlier on when y'all were kind of telling the story um morph was saying something about jay being like quickly disregarded as a suspect that's not the case the people always suspected him he (laughs) is their only suspect in their mind yeah but they don't have any evidence right but that's the correct way to do it they they, they have he has to be number suspect number one yeah but i just fear they don't have any evidence because they did not really look in the beginning they just i don't know could be i'm I'm curious besides him being able to move his russian bride in quickly did he gain any way financially was there anything else that he got out of your uh mom's death well i mean she um i mean she had life insurance she they had just built a brand new house they had a truck um I mean, she had didn't have to give up half his assets. That's the, the answer. You know, whether well, he, it's yeah. not new money, he didn't have to give up half his assets in a divorce, right? So right. That's, that's the thing you got to consider. Have you and he's ever on a rebound, him? right? Yeah. He's, com- he's coming off the ropes, if I understood that correctly, right? He's he was he's married a rough before. time. Or, yeah, he got yeah. he got screwed in his first marriage. He, he's not going to do that again. Yeah, risk averse. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever confronted Jay with your suspicions and did he, what kind of replies did he give you? No, I I haven't because his interaction after my mom passed away with me was minimal. Yeah. That's a clue in and of itself. Yeah. (laughs) I think so too, because I thought we were pretty close. Yeah. So the relationship changed after, after her death. Dramatically to the point where he got an attorney to get me to settle her estate. Oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because he okay. feels 
he feels guilty or that you're going to see through what he's doing? Is that the feeling you get? I mean, I don't at the time, you know, I was in my twenties, right? Like I, I didn't, I don't know why he did what he did at the time, but I know that, you know, for me, and I did try to explain to him, like, I just couldn't at the time settle my mom's estate. That was just really a difficult thing for me to do because I knew once I had signed, you know, that paper agreeing to, and I mean, I was going to get money out of the deal. I was a, a kid in school, like I needed the money, but it was just really hard for me to sign that because I knew that once I signed that, that would be all that I was ever going to get of my mom. Like that was going to be the end of it, but that didn't have an impact on him. He went and got an attorney to like threaten to sue me and take me into court in order to settle her estate only so that he could sell her house, like the house she built her pride and joy, sell her house and get remarried. Like that's not the way people who are innocent victims act, right? They're not. They should have been. He should have been hovering around you as a co-victim in this, as, as a stepfather and, too. Yeah, as a stepfather who loves you and cherishes you, and and is sorry for your mom's death. That it, that's not the. This isn't the way he acted, and that in and of itself is a clue too. I agree. Like I, like I said, even now because I think of the interactions and the time that we spent together. Right before my mom died, right. I definitely yeah. thought we had a very different relationship than what we did. He was your dad. I mean, you had another right. dad. He was your dad immediately. Yeah, that's that again. So, so let's let's yeah. play out a scenario. Let's just say for a second, Jay was involved, or Jay did it himself. How does this scenario go down in your mind, Cloyd? Having investigated so many crimes like this, how does he get out of that area and get? How does things play out? How, Can how we start with a question? He's suspected? I don't think he does. I mean, it's, it seems clear to me he's suspect number one. You know, not number one. Let's and, let's start with this. Is it a okay. resident? Is is it? Um, what's the neighborhood like where the house is? Is it, is it in the country? It's Maryland? pretty country. So there was. So on the piece of drainage district property. There was, there's like a soccer field. Um, There's a few houses, but there, it's not a neighborhood, right? Like across the street is empty fields. Um, There's like a a soccer field that, you know, somebody set up, like there's nothing in close proximity. Pretty rural. So the hypothetical scenario in which Jay would have done this hypothetically, allegedly, is um, he could have killed your mother the night before or that morning in the house, then everything else is transportation and cover up. Um, well, you know, the fact that the phone was not with her is evidence exactly to that point. You know, I, I, she had never phoned with her. He forgot the phone, right? Allegedly. Yeah. I think that's huge evidence right there too, that he didn't take and the phone. I think that the, the important clue here is the smoke being seen. We have to go by that timeline yeah. of when that mm-hmm. smoke is seen. That's important. Well, when he—that's when he lit the car on fire. Yeah, that helps at least on the passenger side, right? Allegedly, yeah. Um, Yeah, we need a button. We have that the car would have went up that quickly. Like he is the only person, number one, that says she left at six a.m. that morning. Right. It's all from him. And he he said he went to the gas station. 
put himself at the scene, in my opinion, as a as a release. Right. Right. But how do we know he didn't take the car there at some point that night? Go Mm -hmm. catch the car on fire that morning and then go on about his business. Patricia Patricia Burns, hold on. By this horse place, it's on the same road farther down, but only stay there a minute. Yeah. Not sit and talk about the horse or what he can do. Not a not glimpse of a horse. Yeah. 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 That's not how we do it when we buy no. horses. No. Patricia. You know, you're standing, you look at the horse. You talk about the horse. Doesn't talk about our other horses. Stop yeah. by and say, okay, thanks. I'm leaving. Because that was right. conveniently to give him an it's hour. It's got to be a pretty to just walk away without. Yeah, Patricia absolutely. Burns here with one of the winning comments of the year, I think. I think the fire was to cover up that the death occurred earlier. I agree, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. In this scenario, this uh, hypothetical scenario, let's just say Mary was killed earlier. He drives her car there, drops her there, sets it on fire, and then sets off on foot. And then you said that was like a three-mile walk back to his house. Right. Um, because that's the, he's either walking back there or he's getting a ride with someone right. or, right. and if that's the case and you have someone else involved, if not, he's walking three miles back to his house. Well, is, there, is it possible else. he goes very early? Is it possible that he goes right. that yeah. dark? I think it is. Yeah. Oh, maybe the six that been extensively burned. Two things that arise. It had to have been burned some time. And then the other question with regard to what you, how he gets there and out, how does he get the fertilizer, transport the fertilizer to the car? In the trunk? Was this a in liquid? The trunk, he drives it with Was him. it a liquid? Was it? It's already there you know, at the farm. They had manure piles. It's at the farm. It's mm-hmm. where he lives. horses. Yeah. yeah. He, right. She dies that night. He I, allegedly, you know, <laughs> scoops some manure into the car and. Drives it there. more than just manure, though, because I mean, manure, yeah, some kind of chemicals. He's got to have. He's got to have other chemicals. Nitrates in the, in there. doesn't necessarily burn. Or it's burn the nitrates. It, it can the... happen any time after she comes home from work. Am I any right? So he has a lot of time between then and when the car is seen he on fire. Park the car um, there, left, and come back the next day. Right, on fire, and then went on to look at this horse. Stop by for just a minute and then leave. What the hell's up with that? You know, like, when is like, yeah? When is the last time anyone saw or heard other than Jay heard or saw or interacted with your mom prior to that her death? It's got to be the night before when she left work, probably the day before. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Nobody talked to her that night. Um, no phone calls, no text, no interactions, any kind. Not, not to my understanding, no. But I mean, she you gotta. She didn't text on the phone. Number one, <laughs> like that wasn't happening. Yeah. Um, especially back then, like you know, it was a dollar a minute or something crazy. Just just for emergencies, for just emergency. strictly. If I break down, here's my way to get help. Basically, correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Which is why the phone would have been in her car. And and Kathy says he you know could have gone back to the horse to the house. Uh, when he goes back, go back horse, by to the horse he was looking. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. When yeah. he set the fire, that could that's I mean, he could drop the car there, he has another car because it was go home, became get his, the right? car, go look at the horse, mm. and on the way to look at the horse, set the fire. That's so maybe, but if he, maybe he thinks about it and says, Oh, I left the car there hoping yep. somebody would find her, but now that might point to me, let me burn it. 
Oh, wait, she'll be able to determine that she died earlier. Damn, I should have thought of that. No, Marilyn, the fire was planned the entire time because he would have been prepared for it. If any, if there was anything that Jay was, he was a prepared person, Mm -hmm. right? He Mm -hmm. was always very prepared. And I do think that whoever set this fire had what they needed. This wasn't a, a spur of the moment thing, right? They didn't douse a little bit of gasoline on the car and catch it on fire. That is not what happened. This was thought out. It, you know, it, he was prepared to catch that car on fire. And me personally, I think he took the car out there that night when he was on the way to see the horse is when he set the fire. I agree. But you said we, that he went to see the horse. Alex, you froze. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Um, that Oregon internet. No, it, I don't know what happened. Uh, can you hear me now? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Marilyn, you clear, I think, that he went to look at the horse around noon? Correct. Look, the fire was reported at 1020 that morning. Right. So if he's there... It had to have been before. Right. It couldn't have been when he went to. But you know what sticks out to me about that? It, it could have. And it could have been because that's why he didn't see the fire. That's why he never reported seeing the fire because he yeah. said it at yeah, 10 yeah. o'clock in the morning when he was driving to go see the horse. The fire's not going to burn all night and no one yeah. notices it. Correct. Yeah. He went back. So what he did is I think he had um, he had Allegedly. a rethink. Allegedly, I, what I, well, I didn't I say what I think happened? So it's yeah. all in my, in my fantasy scape, right? Um, in your theory, all, your theory, yeah, yeah, not in reality at all. Um, so allegedly, he he hypothetically could have gone um, back home, and uh, I don't imagine you'd sleep too well after something like that occurred. And you're there, and the clock's ticking, and you're going pathologist, yeah, evidence in the back of the car. They're okay. going to figure out what time she died. Right. How do yeah. I deal with this? Yeah. And even just for your peace of mind, you go back. Right. Mm. right. And I, I think this is where maybe a fire expert would help because maybe yeah. they could help us walk through how fast a car would start smoking. If the, if this fire started, would it be immediate? Would it be after the, you know, it was mostly burned that people would start seeing the smoke. That would be, be a big clue fast. as to the exact time. It would be pretty fast because that's fire doesn't go on without smoke, you know. But again, you're out in a remote area, so how long before somebody noticed the smoke, right? But they would have noticed it pretty quickly. And the reason I say if that is because they there with it, right? But yeah. th- there was a burn ban at this time, right? Mm. So mm-hmm. this, the count Harris County at the time had a burn ban because it like was a drought so or something. Okay. What year was this? Two thousand. It was in October. 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 Well, October. But late, at the late, time, late. there was actually a burn ban. So that's right. why I think that when the they that nine one one call came in, I don't think that fire had been burning very long. Probably right? not. Because I I think that someone would have been pretty keen on the fact that. Holy shit! Right there's a burn ban, yeah, and there's all this blowing smoke. Yeah, and you think the fire company would have went out there and checked it at that point? Then, if you that's would, the yeah, case, you would have thought. someone. And and what was the distance from the car that he this horse that he went to look at was? It, About it was 
it was two hours away. Okay, so oh, so that's that is if you now let's look at the timeline. Two hours drive or walk in the car at ten o'clock because he drives he leaves by there allegedly. and drives to the horse allegedly at twelve o'clock. There's your two hour windows from when the smoke was first seen to him arriving mm-hmm. to look at this horse. It seems to fit pretty well. Again, he should have seen the the smoke when he was on his way to the horse. Correct. Yeah, but yep. he didn't, or didn't report that he, he did. never. But I mean, how would would that not be the first thing that comes to your mind? Like, you would think, yeah, you would think. I, I mean, because he just easily said that day, "Oh, yeah, I drove down. I drive down that road all the time. I drove down that road that morning." What? Yeah. How would that not be the first thing that comes out of your yeah, mouth? Exactly when you, mm-hmm. the same road that she's found on. Right. And yeah. and then you take me there when I didn't even tell you where that's where you the car dir- was. You asked for directions yeah. to yeah. another location. Area, he takes you right to the spot. This is where? all strong circumstantial evidence. K six two asks if Jay was a welder. He said, or she says, acetylene burns really hot. No, was I don't, Jay a welder? No, I don't think he was a welder. I knew that he. But, I know he worked at the chemical plant for quite but, some time. But yeah, but there are chemicals. Chemical so he has knowledge. Yeah, and the from my understanding, the police did like run some chemical tests on the car. It wasn't um, like gasoline. Right. It, there were high um, counts of nitrates. Um, which is what made them think of fertilizer. And yeah, right. and this was also after like the Oklahoma City bombing, which yeah, they I was used just thinking fertilizer. about. That. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so I mean, and I think there are times where you also do burn those piles of manure to get rid right. of them. Right. I don't think it's. I don't think a pile of manure alone is enough. No, it's got to be processed and chemical. Yeah. Yeah, because otherwise, a liquid mix blowing up left and right, right? It has to be something a little more than that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and my I memory of bombs, knowledge. my memory of a, a strong explosive bombs, it's um, it's fertilizer and then just a little bit of like one or like one or diesel. Two yeah. Yeah, diesel or something yeah. with it. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that I think that out of any case that we've ever done on the show here, this is the one I'm most confident about. Right. I think we're like right there. You know, I think so too. I, agree. I wouldn't yeah. say we have an answer because, but we're but we've never been closer to getting an answer on this show. I don't think and, we've ever been more on the same page. Well, yeah, right. No, these Marys were killed by different people, right? We, I think we all kind of agree that. Well, I'm I'm, I'm talking about the the first Mary Morris. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 I, I the, the second right. one's a little bit more murkier, but I don't think it was a hit. I don't think. No, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that. No, yeah. that first one. I think I think we're uh, right at the door, and we and we can keep going, and we keep can keep treading over facts, but we already we already yeah. have enough. I mean, this stinks. I haven't. It stinks. I haven't. Right. And you know, Occam's razor, the simplest answer is usually the correct one, right? <laughs> so we can go with that. Not a zebra. And, There's a lot of Mary Morrises in the world. So at some point yeah. in time, two Mary Morrises are gonna get killed in the same yeah. community within the first couple of days, and the person most likely to kill them based on statistics is is their husbands or others, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and what what sucks about this case is this seems like a strong circumstantial case, but all the evidences in that car that burned up um unless at, at this point can there be luminol testing at home to search for blood um you need permission still, from the new still, owners 
Does he still own the house? No, he sold it right away. Yeah. So maybe is there any recourse to to approach the new owners and say, hey, can we come in here and look at Cloyd? Let's throw this to Cloyd at the end. How do we close this then, Cloyd? We we know where we're aiming. Three years, I would guess not. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I would guess not. Twenty three years later, you might get traces, but yeah, I believe something happened. You could, um, it doesn't hurt to try, right? I don't. Who knows? I think, I think it's clear to me what happened. But I mean, I, again, I'm. That doesn't mean because what I believe happened doesn't mean you have enough to prosecute that. So yeah, that's the other issue. Mm-hmm. So yeah, all you would have to do that in the home, Cloyd. Is that the only place you can go at this point? Yeah, I think so. But I mean, I don't know that 23 years later you're going to get yeah. traces of blood. You're not going to get a confession. No, unless, probably no. not. But no. the circumstantial case is pretty strong. I mean, you know, I don't know. It's a tough, there's stuff that could have been done early to solve all this if they'd have gone immediately to the gas station and show she didn't show up there. Right. When she turned left. I mean, that would have been huge. Um, and all this other stuff. Again, the whole story of what happened is coming from Jay. You know, yeah. he's he's the source, and that's you have to look at that with uh, with a little bit of uh, a, a slanted eye. You know, you can't just trust because he's telling you that happened doesn't mean it happened, right? So right now, exactly. if if we were sitting on a jury and we heard that the case for Jay did it, I couldn't return a verdict of nope. guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Nope. Probably that, that, no, not, with, not, not even close on the evidence you have, right? You need more, but yep. who knows what's going on? I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe they can get it. I don't, again, I don't believe for a second that these two married cases are related. I just don't. I, th- I think there's still hope, um, uh, especially for the other Mary's case, because there wasn't a fire that destroyed the right, car. Exactly. And the evidence there might be something story. there that could still, Solved yeah, that. and maybe if it's solved, it it could shed more light on this case and say, okay, it's not related. So now we can focus. Well, Rebecca brings up a great point. It'd be interested to hear what the third wife has to say. Of course, a wife cannot testify about things her husband told her, although she can testify about things that she observed about her husband. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So any communication directly is not a and, yeah. What about before they got married, Cloyd? What about? I thought um, she couldn't be compelled to, to testify, but I thought Correct. she could still testify if she wants to and no, say no, he no. told me yeah. this. Not if, well, not about. It's illegal for her to testify. Communication okay. is is not. Yeah, and, and there are two different. Yeah, there's spousal privilege, which means you cannot be compelled to testify against, unless. That person is a defendant in a crime against you. Against you, yeah. You, you're the victim. Work. Right, exactly right. But it doesn't mean she can't the observations she made about that's people. true. Yeah, yeah. And before marriage, anything before marriage, I do yeah. believe can come in. Yeah, absolutely. I uh I think uh Marilyn, where you're sitting right now, this almost be pretty intense. Yeah. It's <laughs> I would it's, think. <laughs> you're a little emotionally contri- uh, involved in this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, let's let's go ahead. As speaking on the third wife, I think she would even. I mean, you'd have to get her in a situation where she would do so. I mean, unfortunately, I think she has too much to lose. It's you know, absolutely, yeah. And that's the problem all the time. They make them dependent. Yeah, correct. 
And yeah. and Marilyn, um, Rebecca said she's sorry that someone took your mom from you. you. She hopes you get resolution. We all do. And, you know, at the end of the day, you lost your mom. Katie lost her mom. And someone, you know, or multiple people that did this or have never paid for that. And that's the real travesty here. Exactly right. And I mean, I do appreciate that. I do think that's the one thing from, um, you know, these podcasts that I have appreciated is the fact that people have, you know, shown sympathy, you know, towards me, towards Katie, towards our family. And we don't, we don't know them. They don't know us. Right. Um, so, I mean, I do appreciate that. And I hope that you've been able to clear the air about certain things that aren't accurate, maybe, you know, give an insider's view here and and maybe uh, squash some of the inaccuracies and, and stuff that's not true on the Internet. Yeah, I mean, because I that that is the hardest part, right? The good part is the, you know, sentiment. The hard part is the crazy outlandish things that you hear hmm. that. Like for me, I've known, you know, in my mind, in the detective's mind, what was thought. Now, the sad thing about these podcasts is that in all of the podcasts that have ever been done, Morph is the only, only podcast that has ever reached out to me and asked what was going on, which is why I agreed to do this. Like, this is really difficult. But because he's the only person in all these shows and all these years that has ever asked me, a family member who lost their mom, anything, right? And didn't give some outlandish thought to what they think happened. Yeah. And and it, and you've definitely been a uh, someone that's been able to provide a lot of insight. And that's one thing that I wanted to do and we all want to do on this show is get stuff accurate and get it from first person sources like yourself. And um, so thank you for coming on and um, you know, we appreciate it. And and again, we hope you get some kind of resolution here. Yeah. Thank you. I think, I think if we could bring one case to a close, even really unceremoniously and then have to retire the show after that, we'd all be fine with that. Um, yeah, it's coming from a bit of a different yeah. place with it, but uh, you know, I want to, I want to keep it at the emotional level right now, Marilyn. Um, there's not much else I can say, but you know, it's, it's horrible. And if there's any more, anything else we can do for you after the, the show, as far as, I mean, we're, you know, certainly Chloe and I are very solutions oriented people you know, we think that the, the best way to probably deal with a lot of um, heartbreak is to is to bring some sort of finality to it to, to get justice with that. And so if there's anything we can do for you in that regard after the show, um, we'll get in touch with you over email. But for now, um, yeah, it's it's heartbreaking. And you're, you know, you're very brave to have done this. And we thank you for that. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. So with that, are we going to wrap up for the night? Sounds like a good time. Yes, I think no. so. Yeah. Uh, we do have a comment here from Miss Lee. I just want to let you guys know I love your channel, and I will be promoting it in my community and groups. Let's build your support. Thank, thank you, Miss Lee. That's Thank you so much. You. This is a show that, you know, yeah, and uh, thank you for, um, you know, the, you know, 
saying that. I appreciate it. I try and I'm not the world's best interviewer. I don't have the most skills in the world. I just like to get accurate stuff and when possible, reach out to someone that has firsthand information instead of just, you know, making stuff up. Um, so that's why it's, it's great to have people like Marilyn or Katie come on. Yeah. Okay. So thank you again, uh, Marilyn. And, um, Let's get in touch afterwards, and and maybe we can we can work something out. I mean, it's going to be tricky, but but I don't think we've been this confident. Yeah, and Susanna may have some new insights for you and for Susanna. Katie about DNA things that can be done that maybe weren't done in the past, um, especially with Katie's mom because that car wasn't burned, so you know at such a hot temperature. But maybe in your case too. So um, Susanna would be someone good to to pick her brain too. Yeah. I mean, I would love to see one of the cases solved, right? Like one is better than none because I mean, Mm -hmm. I feel for Katie too. She lost her mom and she lost her at a younger age than I lost mine. And I know how hard it was for me. So, I mean, I can't imagine, you know, we've talked about it some, but I can't imagine what she's gone through, but it would be great to solve either one of them. You know, in my mind, I feel like I know who did it and I hope that he is, living the life that he is meant to live and karma gets him in the end. Although, I mean, I, it's just, you know, I guess you, I don't know. In my mind, I feel like I know what happened, but I would love some definite answers. But if either one would be solved, I, that, that would make me happy. That would put me in a much better place than I am in right now. Hope that happens. We we will return uh, to Virginia in two weeks on the next episode uh, to discuss the 2002 murders of the Michael, Mary, and Jennifer short case. Michael and his wife, Mary, were shot to death in their home while asleep in their beds. Their nine-year-old daughter, Jennifer, was nowhere to be found, and her body was found six weeks later under a bridge in Rockingham County, North Carolina. And the case remains unsolved after more than 20 years, but authorities are hopeful that new information will lead to an arrest. Um, So that'll be an interesting case to talk about. But for now, thank you for being here tonight. And we will see you next time on Citizen Detective. Thank you. Goodbye. Good night, everyone. Thank you. The Citizen Detective team includes co-hosts Mike Morford, Alex Ralph, and Dr. Lee Meller, who also provides case analysis. The team also includes forensic DNA analyst Susanna Ryan and retired Seattle homicide detective Cloyd Steiger. Writing and research, Alex Ralph. Technical producer, Andrew Gray. Production assistant, Ashley Monroe. Be sure to catch new episodes of Citizen Detective every other Saturday. To contact the show anytime, visit citizendetectivepodcast.com and follow along on social media.